John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are paying tribute to what I think is one of the most interesting, not just writers and actors, but just kind of personality mm. in film history. And that man is Buck Henry, who we lost just uh, just about a week ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always, uh, I knew him first as an actor. Right. And then found him as a writer way later in life, because I mean, SNL and a number of bit parts in certain uh, films or sitcoms, things of that nature that I'd seen him in, I had no idea who he was as a writer. And then when you go back and analyze film, you realize how much uh, he contributed to the world of film. Maybe not in terms of um, like a, 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 a huge amount of quality films, but the ones he wrote were really uh, effective to the world of film. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, the reason we're doing this is to re-release our episode on The Graduate, yeah. which he wrote the screenplay for, and it's one of the great screenplays of all time and one of the great films of all time, but mm. I'm just like you. I didn't know that's who that was. Yeah. What I knew, because I started watching Saturday Night Live in the late 70s and early 80s, and for me, it was the that was how I knew how old I was, because <laughs> when I was a little kid, I could stay up to watch The Love Boat. Right. And then I was a little older, I could stay up to watch Fantasy Island, mm -hmm. and then I could stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. And so I, I don't think I saw in in original airings of those first ones that he was on, yeah, but yeah. probably in 78 or 79, I started to see them and then would see them on reruns. And it's so funny how you are when you're a kid because you don't, I didn't know who these people were. Right, right. You know, it's just, here's this odd, quirky, his whole rhythm is so unique. And to me, so associated with early Saturday Night Live is this sort of kind of nerdy, kind of quiet, but yeah. something so charming about him, particularly when paired against the wildness of that show at that time. Yeah, well, there's, there's also a hidden sarcasm in his oh, yeah. delivery, which you always see just creeping underneath in certain moments that wry sort of yeah, yeah the smirk yeah, the smirk exactly <laughs> and, and of course the, the the thing he's most known for it, it i think he is the first five-time host of saturday night live I'm right not, it's either him or paul simon i think right that makes sense and uh is doing those samurai sketches yes. with john belushi yes um and of course there's one and and I don't think these sketches would be done today, but you know, John Belushi, and it's funny because as we're recording this, the other movie, we're, we're in the middle of our month of Kurosawa yeah. and you know, John Belushi was watching Toshiro Mifune. Oh, of course. That's what this was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, 
uh, did Samurai Taylor and Samurai mm-hmm. Delicatessen. And <laughs> That's all my the, favorite. And of course, in one of them, and I can never remember which one it was, on swinging back with his katana, he hits Buck Henry in the head. Yeah. And who has got a pretty bad wound on his yeah. forehead and does the rest of the show, because the show must go on, right. with a big bandage on his head. And the cast, in sympathy, they all put bandages on their <laughs> head. And that is the world of early Saturday Night Live. I think he is the first sketch. Isn't he the psychiatrist who's interviewing John Belushi about being a Wolverine? I wonder if he's the first sketch ever on in SNL Life? that he's the psychiatrist. He's not, no, because Carl, George Carlin is the host on the first episode. Right, but is Buck Henry in the first sketch on SNL? I, I don't know. I, I thought I, I, I remember. I think him. so, but maybe. I mean, he's certainly yeah. one of those formative people. Yeah. Um, and, and the uh, you know, he was, well, here's some interesting things about him. Yeah. He was born in 1930. His mother is Ruth Taylor, who I don't know a whole lot about, mm-hmm. but she was a silent movie star. Oh, wow. And his father was a brigadier general. There you go. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's how you do it. Went to Choate, which, you know, is oh, one Choate. of the greats, yes. you know. And he start, start on broad, started acting, started on Broadway at the age of 15. Mm. Um, and ended up in a improv group with George Siegel. Yeah. And then started acting on TV and was, you know, like a bit player on all these things and did, you know, funny stuff. And, and one of the ones that's most interesting, and this, it sounds like, and I, this is one I've not watched it but I know so much about it, is a show from 1964 to 68 called That Was the Week That Was. Mm. And this was a news culture comedy show. It's where Tom Lehrer, who's one of my oh, great yeah. comedy heroes, right. all of the really political songs from Tom Lehrer, like um, National Brotherhood Week and Smut and all those, all of those happened on That Was the Week mm. That Was. That's, okay. what, that's where these things premiered. And he was a player on that. And then in 1965, he, with partner Mel Brooks, creates get smart yeah now that's probably my first actual experience i didn't know who buck henry was right 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 but when i was a little kid that was in the rerun rotation that i would watch whenever i had a chance i thought get smart was hilarious and i think if you're a kid and you're not you don't have a proclivity to be a writer you focus on don adams right right you think it's just don adams delivering these lines or saying these lines and it's just incredible and he's hilarious yeah he's of course but then you look at who was writing all these great jokes and of course the genius of buck henry coming through here as well so he is a multiple Emmy winner. Yeah. I mean, this is, show is a huge, huge hit. And then he comes on to write The Graduate. He's the second screenplay that comes to work on The Graduate. And he says that he just jumped right into this sense of humor, that yeah. he got it right from the beginning. And what's so, you know, we, we did it, it is a few years ago when we recorded this episode. And I still say it might be the movie that is most uh, uncomfortable, serious, uh, great social commentary mm. and simultaneously hilarious yeah. of any movie we've done on the cinephiles. Yeah, I don't disagree. You know, it's beautifully filmed. The performances obviously are amazing. And this, you know, Buck Henry writes what is one of the great cultural touchstones in the history of the of American film. And hey, delivers one of the funniest performances as a character actor ever Absolutely. seen as the bellhop or as the desk front desk yep. guy at the hotel for Mr. Mr. Singleman. Yeah, Mr. Singleman. <laughs> Single <laughs> man. Yeah. Singleman party. Are you here for an affair? <laughs> He's so funny and I think we brought it up is that he only gets that part because uh, Gene Hackman was supposed to play Mr. Robinson. Right. And got fired. And so Maury, what's his name? Uh, oh, who takes his place? Takes his yeah, place yeah, yeah. as Mr. Robinson. So yeah. now we need someone to play that bellhop. Right. And so we go, I guess we'll bring in Buck Henry, <laughs> uh, who is hilarious. He also wrote uh, the the 
on the screenplay for The Owl and the Pussycat yes. and What's Up, Doc. That's a George Seagal film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And What's Up, Doc is the Barbara Streisand. Uh, is it Peter Bogdanovich? I, I think, think it so, is. Yeah. 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 It is one of those like very 70s funny movies yes. of its type. Yeah. Um, and he wrote Catch-22, which is a completely mixed bag. Yeah. Directed by Mike Nichols, one of the great books from the Joseph Heller book. And it's one of those weird early 70s movies that if you're a cinephile, I totally recommend you yeah. watch. Just just to pick out the people that are in it, including <laughs> Orson Welles. and Orson Welles. Yeah. And, yeah. It's very strange. Crazy film. cast. Not necessarily, uh, a, in my opinion, a great film. I don't disagree with you. I haven't watched it in a long time. Mm. He writes, and goes on writes Protocol, which is the Goldie, Goldie Hawn film, Hawn film in 84, yeah. and To Die For in 95, which I had totally forgotten that he wrote. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's an interesting look of f- work of films. And my guess is that he was, I bet he was a ghostwriter on a whole bunch of stuff that we oh, don't know about. probably. I bet they called him in to punch up scripts all the time. Well, and that's my point, right? He may not have written a lot of films that received an incredible amount of buzz, but the films he did write, a majority of them did leave a lasting effect, or at least you remember those right. films distinctly. You know what I'm saying? To yeah. Die For and The Graduate being two of them. Yeah, and while all this is going on, He's guest spots on Murphy Brown yeah. and 30 Rock and The Daily Show and Will and Grace. He's showing up all the time, still with that odd, funny, <laughs> wry, sarcastic Buck Henry performance. Yeah. Um, but I think of all the things we'll remember him for, in addition to being with John Belushi and the Samurai Sketches for me, mm. is uh, the film The Graduate, which along with director Mike Nichols, Dustin Hoffman's premiere, amazing performance from Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. This is a incredibly important groundbreaking movie in the transition of Hollywood from the old school mm-hmm. into what's going to become the new Hollywood of the late 60s and 70s. Right. So without further ado, we give you our recording of The Graduate. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson, <laughs> here we are. You got me into your house. You give me a drink. You put on music. Now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, actor, and host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles. And I'm crazy excited to talk about this particular film today. Me too. It just yeah. really hit me really hard. Uh, the film is The Graduate, 1967. It's our second Mike Nichols film. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf already. Right. And, you know, I've seen this film a lot. Okay. But watching it this time, I don't know. Yeah. It has had a much stronger effect on me than it had in the past. How it's a great movie. How'd you first come to it? Uh, I think I came to it maybe four or five years ago for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not one of these ones that necessarily jumped out at me. And I've been a huge Dustin Hoffman fan for a long time, obviously. But like the, uh, every once in a while, I'll go through these runs on TCM where I'll just like scan through the next three weeks of movies. And I'll be like, oh, have I seen any of these movies? Have I? Oh, these are classics that I haven't seen yet. And The Graduate was one of these about five years ago. And I have in total only seen the film three or four times. Oh, wow. To be honest 
honest with you. Yeah. And this is probably the fourth time I've seen it all the way through. I've seen scenes. You know, I knew the iconic scenes, the of course. stuff. But I hadn't really watched. But this time around, for whatever reason, I absolutely love the film. Because the first time I saw it, I was like, ah, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, I don't see how it's. But there's something about this time that hit me on a number of levels. And it may just be where I'm at in my life as an, as an older person now. Like, there's a lot here to explore and uncover. It, it, it did for me too, but I'd yeah. seen it. I saw it in high school, probably the first wow. time, wow. and saw it. You know, every few years I'd seen yeah. it a lot. And when I was in film school, it was definitely a film that you talk about in film school. And right. I, I'd seen it a lot then. And it was always one of those films that I admired and I liked. Yeah, but it wasn't one of my favorites. Right. And I had the same experience. I was watching it with my wife a couple of days ago and found it so funny. Yeah, and so I was just like, oh my god! And I, it took. <laughs> I don't know why it took. Me to get to, you know, Mrs. Robinson's age right. or older uh, <laughs> before I started to go appreciate it. But it, yeah. it really did. It affected me so much differently. Well, I think that's what's great about films, man. The, for This is the great ones. They speak to you at whatever, whenever they're supposed to speak to you. And the people who love it at a certain time in their lives love it for that reason. And then when you discover it again later on, it's because something else is going on inside yeah. you. It's the great thing yeah. about film. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely true. Uh, so so let's get into it. It's, sure. it's based on the book by Charles Webb, mm-hmm. uh, which I just read. I oh, figured wow. I, pu- I picked it up on Audible. It was six hours long. I listen to books usually at two and a half times speed, so it only took me a couple hours to get through. because <laughs> you're a fucking genius. <laughs> well, wow. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I couldn't listen to anything at two and a half times speed. I, I get irritated. Takes, I think it just takes practice. I guess so. Um, I can't even handle those chat apps, those Snapchat apps where they're talking high, high pitched. So I, I can't handle that. You young right. people and your apps. <laughs> I don't even up. know what you're talking about. Shut up, go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, the, yeah. what surprised me about the book that I just had to say, my expectation, yeah, because I knew a lot about the making of the film, mm-hmm. was that this was going to be one of those books where it was going to be really, really different from yeah. the movie. Yeah, it's not. Oh, okay. the movie is so much based on the book, and even down to the dialogue. Wow, like a lot of the lines. I, I watched the movie and then read, mm-hmm. listened to the book the next day. A lot of the lines are just. The same. Interesting. It really surprised me. The big difference is, the book's not that funny, oh. or like, in my opinion. Right. You know, and so all that, because, you know, this is a story that you could take in a very sad way. Oh, absolutely. If you're not serious funny, way, too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So uh, Lawrence Terman's the producer, and he, uh, he buys it, and he does something that he's never done and always recommends that you should never do, which he actually used his own money. Cool. He is a big fan of what of OPM, which is other people's money. Of course. And uh, that's how Hollywood works. I haven't learned that lesson very well. Um, <laughs> but that you should never use your own money. Uh, the first, and, and he wants Mike Nichols to direct it. Right. And, and by the way, if you want to know about Mike Nichols, go back and listen to our Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf episode. We go into a lot of detail about him. Yeah. The one thing we didn't mention, and I cannot believe we did not mention this in that podcast, yeah. is that he is an EGOT. Oh, yes. And that's our, it's our third EGOT that we've yes. discussed on the Cinephiles. The other ones being Rita Moreno and Mel Brooks. Right. Um, and this is, if you don't know what an EGOT is, go look it up. Yeah. An EGOT is really cool. Yes. Uh, so uh, Mike Nichols was supposed to direct this before Virginia Woolf. Yes. And then uh, got, you know, Virginia Woolf came along, put this on hold. And while it's on, while he's working on Virginia Woolf, uh, Calder Willingham is hired to write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Terman reads the screenplay. I don't think Nichols even read that screenplay wow. and said, this is not what it is. Mm-hmm. Nichols brings in his buddy, Buck Henry, who's great comedy writer, yes. uh, you know, creator of Get Smart and, mm-hmm. you know, just one of the, and, and 
for the classic Saturday Night Live yes. hosts. You know, he's he gets hit in the head with a sword from John Belushi in, in <laughs> Samurai, whatever it was. Yes. But Henry comes and writes writes it. And just one thing that's real interesting about screenplays and how screenplays work, Nichols never even looked at Calder Willingham's screenplay. It's not used in the movie at all. Wow. But he Willingham goes to the WGA and says, I deserve credit on this movie. And what happens, and this happens all the time because there's multiple writers on scripts, mm. is the WGA looks at all the scripts and then they make a determination. Right. And they determine that he deserves half screenplay credit. Right. So, the, so even though there's, he didn't write anything that ended up in the movie, he gets half screenplay writing credit. Gotcha. Because the WGA decided that. Right. Um, and part of that is because it's based on a book. And as I discovered, a lot of the dialogue's in the book. So, of course, his screenplay is very similar, yes. you know. So Mike Nichols comes on, and now we got to cast our lead role, Benjamin Braddock, yeah. who in the book is tall, blonde, blue-eyed, godlike. So naturally, we're going to cast uh, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> is he really in the book? Yeah. How do I yeah. even know how that freaking works? He's 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 the it's a wasp family. Yeah, it's true. It's full like that yeah. is what it is. It is the California yeah. blonde. Wasp, yes, and so you know who the first person they go to, Robert is? Redford, Robert Redford, yeah, of course, who Mike Nichols directed in his first big hit on Broadway, which is Barefoot, Barefoot in, the in the Park, right? So they're buddies, and here's why Redford <laughs> doesn't get cast. So, so Nichols, they're really in talks about doing it, and yeah. Redford has become a, a, a star. He's not a huge, he's not the huge star he's about to be, right? But he's definitely a star. And Nichols just finally goes up to him and says, "You know what? I can't, I, Bob. I can't see you playing this part." And he goes, why? And he's like, I just can't see you playing a loser. Yeah. And Redford, Redford being an actor, yeah. goes, I could play a loser. <laughs> and, and this is how Nich- Nichols, he, said, he asked him, he said, have you ever not scored with a girl? Like, have you ever gotten turned down by a girl? And Redford's response is, what do you mean? <laughs> does that happen to men? <laughs> does, I don't understand. <laughs> I can't hear you in my bubble. I can't hear you. Yeah, I don't exactly. understand the words you're saying. <laughs> and so they, they go out and they look at all these people. Yeah. And uh, both Buck Henry and Nichols had seen Dustin Hoffman in this off-Broadway play, which mm. I think is called Harry Noon and Night, in which okay. he played a German transvestite. And there was like three or four other things that this character was. And it was this big sensation, big off-Broadway sensation. And they go, maybe this is the guy. And they fly him out for a screen test. Yeah. And he is freaking out during this screen test. He's sweaty. He's nervous. He's stumbling. And the screen test he has, you can see it. It's it's with Catherine Ross. Nice. And at the end of the screen test, which he feels just went terrible, he kind of is doing something with his pockets and a whole bunch of subway tokens fall out of his pockets on the ground. The prop guy picks it up and hands it to him and says, yeah. better take these. You're going to need them. <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman is certain there's no yeah. way he gets apart. Yeah. Nichols watches the footage and something happens. And what he says is that he, Nichols thought he was actually good in the screen oh, okay. on, on the day. Right. But he said he was 25 to 50% better on film. Right. And the only other person he's ever seen this happen with is Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, wow. Is that the camera just loves him. And I've seen this too. There are some yeah. actors, like literally, I'll be looking at them in life and then look at them on the monitor and then at life and then at the monitor. Right. And it's like two entirely different things. Yeah. They're just actors that the camera loves. I'm terrible in both versions. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. I've seen you in both versions. It is not true, sir. Shut your mouth. You're such a good actor. Uh, so this is great. So he, 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 just from that whole screen test, he gets. 
He gets in, the part. He gets the part. And because everything else probably already happened at the end, too, with the fumbling to fumbling tokens, he got a window into who Dustin Hoffman actually is, right? That sure. sequence probably, too. Yeah. Yeah. How well, interesting. Well, and, and, and it ended up the prop guy who, who, who had handed him those tokens yeah. at the end of the shoot because he worked on the film gave him a framed uh, bunch of subway tokens. <laughs> Uh, that's great isn't that awesome so Hoffman's done this screen test yes he's sure he's not going to get it right and this other director also saw him in Harry Noonan Knight playing this transvestite German okay and said this is the perfect guy to play the part of the playwright in my next movie The Producers Mel Brooks cast him in the Kenneth Mars character right. to play the Nazi playwright. <laughs> and when then he gets offered the graduate and he has to decide between the producers and the graduate. Well, obviously he makes the correct he choice. Always take the lead, man. Yeah, 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 of course. And of course, who is he acting with in a love scenes with but Mel Brooks's wife? Yeah, Anne Bancroft. Anne Bancroft. How so every day, Anne Bancroft's coming home from the set, and Mel's going, "How was it making out with that guy that turned down my job?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, and and we have to give credit to the great Lynn Stallmaster, who is the casting director, and because Dustin Hoffman, this is a radical shift yeah. in the in what a leading man can be. Yeah, I mean, it's just so completely, completely different um, uh, that this. Very Jewish, very yeah. ethnic, not tall, not nebbish, nebbish yeah. guy could be a leading man. Yeah. That's it's an amazing, it's like a complete sea change in the way Hollywood works and brings yeah. in the new Hollywood. Right, absolutely, without a question. I think this happens every few decades, though. We saw that with Keanu Reeves kind of becoming a lead too. Keanu Reeves is an attractive guy, but at the time it was all like Bruce Willis. It was all these guys. It was or Schwarzenegger, rather Rambo. All these guys. It was more of these bigger, like huskier guys. And then Bruce Willis and Keanu Reeves, these kind of uh, thinner dudes, kind of everyman kind of vibe, right. kind of slid into these action films. So every it happens in the genres every few months, every once in a while. And like Mickey Rooney, I'm no one was thinking Mickey Rooney was this amazing, beautiful guy, but he made it work back in the in the 30s and 40s for leads in films. And so it's just interesting how this kind of goes in and out these uh, these movements in acting. You know. Well, the thing I have to remember is that Hollywood is fundamentally conservative. Yes. Is that they go, this is what works, and they are reluctant to change. Because they want to make that money. And every once in a while, that change come along, yeah. comes along. And really, that's the theme of this movie, yep. I think. Because this movie, 1967, this, I think this movie more than any other is like the signpost of when Hollywood changes. Yes. Well, the society changes. Yeah. It's a sea change all over. All yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so they go into rehearsal. They do like four or five weeks of rehearsal on mm -hmm. this thing. And one of the actors that is in rehearsal is one of uh, Dustin Hoffman's two best friends. His two best friends are Robert Duvall and Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman is originally cast to play Mr. Robinson. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and they're three that's, weeks into rehearsal. That's to let you know how old his energy has always been. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Because he's buddies with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he's the same age. He's, who's like 29, 30. Yeah. Too old to play Benjamin, but right. looks sort of young. Right. Um, and uh, Nichols fires him. Of course. Um, and Hackman kind of knew he was about to get mm. fired. And of course, it's the best thing for him because getting fired on that allowed him to take Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. And that's really the movie where Gene Hackman gets noticed. Right. And I can't imagine him as Mr. Robinson. No, not at all. Uh, I, I, love, I love Gene Hackman. We talked about him in French Connection. Yeah, of course. But not for Mr. Robinson. But Murray Hamilton is perfect. He's perfect. He's so Absolutely good. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. All right. Let's get in the movie. Yes, let's do it. We start on an airplane. Yes. Um, 
And right from the beginning, this doesn't look like any other movie. I made notes, man. This movie is so powerful for me. All right, go ahead. Yes, got it. Yes. Do you have a note that you want to... Yes, because the opening is... I love the opening dialogue of the pilot. Mm -hmm. We are on our descent. This lets you know that this man... It's not (laughs) descending of the plane. It's this man's descent. Into the uh, into like the darkness of his life, of what his life, his waspish life uh, is going to be now post college, right? Right. The, and we're we're going to be led into this world and see like the un, the feeling of going underwater, descent. All of it is just a massive theme throughout the whole movie. Yeah, absolutely. And then we catch him on this moving sidewalk. Yes. In this great shot, and right. We already see him disconnected. Yeah. Like, we already see him sort of floating in this world where yes. he doesn't belong. Floating, very good, And yes. then there's this moment where uh, we see him on the moving sidewalk. Yeah. And then we see his luggage on the moving sidewalk. Right. Or on the, on the conveyor belt. Yeah. And this is a thing that Nichols said, which I find really interesting. He said, I put the theme of the movie right at the front. Yep. He as an object. And he, what he said, which I love, is, of course, nobody noticed that as the theme of the movie. And that that's what... That's what you want. Right. You should have your theme and you should know what it is. And everybody should be so involved in the story that they're not trying to pick apart your theme. Yeah. You watch it five times. You do. Yes. For instance, the use of water and glass and transparent surfaces. He always wanted those things, these separations, these clear separations between you and the character. Right. And that also relates to the theme. And also you don't, unless you're picking apart the film as we are. Right. You don't notice it. Exactly. If your theme is right up front. Yeah. Your movie's in trouble. Mm -hmm. So Ben goes home. We go right into this very lovely party that his family has thrown for him. If you say lovely, I guess. It is a lovely party. (laughs) All right. What's not lovely about it? The way it's shot. Yes. Everything in close up. Uh, you're constantly like he feels like he's constantly being attacked by these people yeah. and they're all uncomfortably physically close to his face, yeah. which is really unsettling. But to me, it occurred to me that this must be this still happens, I'm sure, in the rich waspish type community that this kind of like uncomfortable violation of physical spaces happens because they're not used to being told no in life. So they just go and do things that violate the rules. And I and I was just like, this is amazing to let you into this feeling like he's a zoo animal, like He's in the aquarium himself. He's a fish in the aquarium himself. Yeah. People are pointing at and coming up close to his glass and watching him. Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. Thank you, Mrs. Carlson. Is that the new car out there, that little red wop child? That's Ben's graduation. Well, you won't have much trouble picking up on that, will you? Yes, sir. The girls, the chicks, the teeny boppers. Oh, I think Ben's gotten me on the teeny bopper stage, haven't you, Ben? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, excuse me, honey. I'd just like to check something on the car for a minute. His father bought him an Alfa Romeo. Well, and this is funny. Like, it's funny you say this still happens because I was realized watching this time. It's like, yeah, this is kind of my life in oh, a really? lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not waspy because I grew up. It was all Jewish. Right, right, right. But, but I grew up in a, you know, fairly upper middle class to affluent mm-hmm. family. My parents had a big group of friends. Right. All their friends were doctors and lawyers and businessmen and stockbrokers and dentists. Right. And we had these big events. And the thing I realized watching it, because I know how Benjamin feels. Yeah. Which is that the, the, not gossip, but there was what we called the Jewish grapevine, mm-hmm. which was that if something happened with, you know, my friend, you know, Rachel Silberstein yeah. or Stacy Jaffe or any of these people, everybody knew about it instantly. Right. And so you would come to this party and every one of these people in a very loving and well-meaning way would yeah. ask you how that thing was. Well, I think most of us who are, who are artists or most of us who have a sensitive bent 
have had this experience because I, I had this experience and I didn't come from affluence, right. but a Latino family, extended Latino family, right. is very much wants to know what's going on. Look at my son's doing this, my son's doing that. And then the uncles and aunts come up and they're yeah. just like, hey, I heard you're doing, what, tell us more about this. Here's like, this is the last thing I want to talk about. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to be here. I just, I'm coming only because my family says I have to go and I couldn't stay at the house. Well, right? and, and, and as I got into like my mid 20s, yeah. and I would go up yes. and, I, and I would, and they would hear like, oh, Steve, we heard you had this meeting at Sony. Oh, Steve, we yeah. hear you're working on the screenplay. Oh, Steve, we hear how's, how's that going? And even to the point where they said, you know, I'd have someone come up who regularly would say, we're still waiting for you, you to win yes. us that Oscar. Ugh. When are you going to win that Oscar? Ugh. And I felt all of this totally well-intentioned right. and really loving, supportive thing right. became like torture. Yeah, It was so painful that I stopped telling my mom what I was doing. Yes. You know, I didn't want to share and I didn't want to talk about it. And it was yeah. like, you can't say to someone who loves and admire you know wants yeah. the best for you shut the fuck up <laughs> stop saying nice things to me you're yeah. hurting me right but that's how it felt yeah you know and so watching ben this time yeah. it was something interesting i learned about the filmmaking because i watch it and go man how did they have the balls to just shoot that shot of ben and not do coverage oh you know right. not cut away because they're the weird sibling walks in front of him right. you have all these sort of dirty overs which means that half of ben's face is cut off or mm -hmm. all of it and it's like how did you not shoot the whole party well, the answer is they did shoot the whole party. They did uh -huh. tons of coverage. Wow. And then in editing, they just said, no, we're just going to stick on Ben's face the whole time. It's perfect. And it is amazing. He's our protagonist. Yeah. We have to feel his his sense of isolation amidst all these people. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. We get a quick glimpse of Mrs. Robinson. Real quick. In one shot. Yes. Um, and then Ben finally. Draped over the couch, smoking yeah. a cigarette. It's... Like a hunter in the, like a lion in the grass. Waiting for its prey. Well, it's funny you should mention that because you notice one of the choices they made in costume, she's always in animals. Game. Yes, yes. She's always in leopards. She, and is. she is this hunter. She's she is a, the huntress. She's yeah. a predator. Uh, uh, so uh, Ben goes up to his room, yes. wants to get away and be alone. And who walks in? But That's Mrs. Right. Robinson apparently looking for the bathroom. Right. This scene is amazing. Yeah. And, it's a fantastic back and forth between both of them. And to me, you really see the rehearsal. Because okay. all the little physical bits, the cigarette, mm -hmm. dropping that, you know, the ash, which he cleans up off the bed, yeah. to the, him dealing with the cigarette in the garbage can, the keys, all those things. Yeah. Those you don't just figure out on the set, I don't right. think. Like, right. you need some time to figure that stuff out. Yeah. And also what's going on in the scene, which I think is fantastic, is, and you get a window into these, now, as an older man, you get a window into this situation. When a woman wants something, she will put herself out there. When a strong woman wants something, she will put herself out there. She when a is, man wants something, will he put himself out well, there? Well, a man does, it's just what he does. A man is stupid and clumsy. A woman can be quite interesting in how she does it. Like, yeah, I think this describes both men and women. I think you right. want to do this game? Okay, we can do this game. So let's 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 do this game. Uh, men are used to going after what they want. Women are trained, or women women are taught from the beginnings at times. Like yeah. you no, can't a, ask for what you want overtly, point. right? That's because a good point. it's a it's a it's a. a, a, a a patriarchal society. So no, you men rebel point. against this idea of a strong woman, right? But a strong woman, when she wants something, will go get it. Sure. And, and I think in this scene, you see this happening here with her because she steps up and she is trying to put herself, like, say, like, I want... She's saying, and not so subtly, but she's putting it out there, like, I want to be with you. I'm, I'm letting you know I'm attracted to you. Her throwing the keys in the aquarium is brilliant. 
Because a sure. woman, a woman can't. I'm sorry, a woman can get really offended when she puts herself out there, and you reject her. And I've seen this happen, and I think it's fantastic. It's such a fantastic uh, scene for that because it shows the dynamic of both of them. Right? He's a young man still, still learning, uh, having about to experience a sexual awakening. This is a woman who's had her sexual awakening, and she's very much in control in the situation. Well, and what's so fascinating about her is like. If this is any other circumstance, yes. you're, you're totally right. She is 100% putting herself out there. Yes. If a woman says, drive me home, well, that's it. But in this right. circumstance, it is inconceivable to Benjamin to ben. right, exactly. that she could be doing this. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, if one of my parents' friends said, drive me home, it would yeah. never have occurred to me right, of course. what that is, even though her actions, as you say, is perfectly yeah. right. And then we have, it's just, it's, what's really hard about this movie is there's so many little moments that I want to mention yeah. that it would take us forever. But, yeah. we, you know, we get to the car and opening the door of the car and how she yeah. gets him to come inside. She's seducing him the whole time. And, well, and forcing her and her... Yes. And I cannot say enough about Anne Bancroft's performance. Yeah, she's so good in this. It is it is so flat yes. and filled with all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny, Nichols says an interesting story about it, which is that they do the first, you know, read through and mm-hmm. first start a rehearsal and, and Bancroft comes up and says, So what do you what do you think? What do you think of my character so far? And Nichols says, no, honestly, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, Nichols is not he doesn't seem right. to mince words. And she goes, yeah, and why? He says, she's why? And he says, well, she's too sweet. And she says, okay, well, what is it you want me to do? And he said, you know what? I can't describe it to you. I can mm-hmm. only do it. Can I give you a, li- a line reading? Yeah. And she goes, yeah, sure. Which, by the way, a lot of actors would be offended. Right. Um, but it's Mike Nichols. And yeah. You know, and, he, and so he does this line a certain way. And she says, and he does it very flat, yeah. whatever it is. And she says, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> That's anger. Yes. And he goes, yeah. yeah. And she goes, I got it. Yep. And from that point forward, she had that part. And you can feel it. Mm-hmm. Is that she wants Benjamin, mm-hmm. but the way that she wants him and yeah. the way that she carries herself. And it is very unsettling. May I ask you a question? What do you think of me? What do you mean? You've known me nearly all your life. You must have formed some opinion of me. Well, I always thought that you were a very nice person. Did you know I was an alcoholic? What? Did you know that? Look, I think I should be going. Sit down, Benjamin. Mr. Robinson, if you don't mind my saying so, this conversation is getting a little strange. Now, I'm sure that Mr. Robinson will be here any minute now. What? My husband will be back quite late. He should be gone for several hours. Oh, my God. Pardon? Oh, no, Mrs. Robinson. Oh, no. What's wrong? Mrs. Robinson, you didn't... I mean, you didn't expect... What? I mean, you didn't really think I'd do something like that. (laughs) Like what? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I don't know. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson... (laughs) Here we are. You got me into your house. You give me a drink. You put on music. Now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. (laughs) Aren't you? Mrs. Robinson's laugh at that moment, I think it's the only time you ever see her laugh or even smile, maybe. Yeah. And then his embarrassment. Oh, I made a mistake. I said the worst possible thing. Which... I don't know who is the best actor at playing discomfort, right? But I can't think of a better one than Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate. He's so good in this. I mean, it's so not what you usually see him play. 
that it was fun to watch. I mean, his nervousness and, mm-hmm. and you could see him trying to yeah. do the right thing, whatever right. that right thing is. Right. And the slow realization of, oh my God, she <laughs> is trying to seduce me. And I love the moment, you know, we're looking, she's got her right. legs. Yeah, I love the line of, you've opened up your personal life to me when her <laughs> legs are slightly spread apart. Yeah. You know, and then Benjamin come up to Elaine's room to look at the portrait. Mm-hmm. And here's something I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Why in Elaine's room? Why does she want us to do Because she's him? jealous of Elaine. She's jealous of Elaine. Elaine is going to be able to have the life that she couldn't have, which we find out later because she got impregnated by uh, Murray Hamilton's care, by Mr. Robinson. Right. And so she got shotgunned essentially into this marriage. But she's jealous of Elaine. That's why she doesn't want Ben to touch Elaine because she, def- she defiles Ben so that Ben is not with Elaine and tries to destroy anything. That's- but she's not a good person. Mrs. Robinson is not oh, a God, good no. person at all. No. The only- and to me, the only victim in this entire movie is Catherine Ross. Oh, it yeah. is not Ben. No. Ben willfully goes into this seduction. He does not have to bring that purse up. He does not have to put it on the ground. Like, he could have left that situation, but he senses in a primal way as a man that he is being seduced by this powerful woman and he acquiesces does he does he does he do these like kind of you know oh i don't i I don't know i should get out of here yes but she pushes it and i think she wants to do it in the room because she wants to uh she wants to get back at elaine in some psychological way i think that's i agree and here's how i kind of frame it because i was thinking about this a lot yeah is i can have sympathy for someone who things happen to as a young person and I can have sympathy for you. Sure. As you move into adulthood, while I maintain my sympathy, yeah. as you start to act in the world as an adult, yeah. then that sympathy doesn't actually give you any credit. No, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like Ben, as a very young man, yeah. who's in this situation, like, okay, you're confused, and I, I, right. I feel why these things are happening. Right. As soon as he starts to act on, Kath- on Elaine... Then I don't. Then it's like now you're being a bad person, right? You know what I mean, right? That's where it's and, and Mrs. Robinson. I can feel for her, yes, absolutely, because she's obviously a very, very unhappy person. Yeah, but her actions, yeah, and particularly it's like the 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 craziness of wanting to seduce a young man in your daughter's bedroom. Haven't you ever seen anybody in a slip before? Yes, I have, but I just. Look, what if Mr. Robinson walked in right now? What if he did? Well, it would look pretty funny, wouldn't it? Don't you think he trusts us together? Of course he does, but he might get the wrong idea. Anyone might. I don't see why. I'm twice as old as you are. How could anyone think that? But they would, don't you see? Benjamin, I am not trying to seduce you. I know that, but please, Mrs. Robinson, this is difficult. Would you like me to seduce you? What? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going home right now. She's using him. It's very palpable. You're right. Her anger. It's her rebellion against her situation. And we'll get to the end, right? Even against herself. Yeah, even against her. Right, exactly. And we'll get to the end when Catherine Ross says to her, like, uh, it's not too late for me. Yeah. And that's that to me is a huge callback to this moment where she's where uh, uh, Anne Bancroft's character, Mrs. Robinson, is seducing Ben. Yeah. And you make a great point, Steve, because I uh, and to admit something, I have had on occasion uh, relationships with married women and. there is a lot of sympathy to go around in those situations for a number of, of reasons. And so those kinds of things are where they're at. And it's a great way to, for me, it's another, it's kind of a way to understand this desire to rebel, this desire to reclaim some sense yeah. of, uh, some sense of humanity and remove the victimhood 
of your humanity because you feel like this situation was foiced upon you sometimes. And so, uh, to me, it's 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 a whole new way to look at this film that I had not. I'd, like you, the first time I saw the film, I, I found the seduction situation like uncomfortable. It is but this, which time, it is, I guess so. But yeah, it is. I guess to a, it, in, at some level this time around, but it was more enjoyable and fun and playful. And all that. I love this whole opening seduction. I, lo- I think it's fun. It's playful. It's sexy. Well, that was the thing. Watching yeah. this time, I was laughing the yeah, whole course. time. It's enjoyable in that I don't way. think I laughed when I was young. I didn't think I found it as funny as right. I found it this time. Right. I don't know why. She gets Ben to bring that purse back upstairs. Yes. He's, he's almost out. Yeah. Brings the purse at the top of the stairs. Well, I'll bring it over here. Well, I'll bring it over here. Right, right. Finally into Elaine's room. And now we have some magnificent editing. Yes. Which is you see Mrs. Robinson's naked form go by in reflection. Yes. She slams the door. You have a triple cut of Ben turning his head where we repeat action, which is very daring. You know, this is like out of French New Wave. And then we have Ben's embarrassment and these fast cuts of body parts of of Mrs. Mrs. Robinson. And and this is and it's just really important to point out, I think, that Nichols's last movie is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is a film stage play. Yeah. And he really and although there's beautiful filmmaking there, there's nothing like this in there. This is completely different. No, you're right. And even, you know, things we've seen with these long lens shots and these long, you know, all that kind of stuff, yeah. that does not exist in Who's Afraid of Virginia no, Woolf. No, no. And for this guy who obviously has this great directing actor's chops to come out and now show these filmmaking chops is amazing. Yeah. Some people uh, just have the gift, man. And Mrs. Robin says, you know, I want you to know I'm available for you. Yeah. Ben, ben runs out. <laughs> He goes back home. No, no, he runs out downstairs because Murray oh, right, comes no, home. Mr. Sorry. Robinson comes You're home. Absolutely right. That's yeah. right. He runs downstairs because we hear the car, which yeah. also, did Mrs. Robinson know he was going to come home? I think she did. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. She is in control in this whole situation. Like, he shows up. The husband shows up while she's naked in the in Catherine's room, for God's sakes. Yeah. And so it's just nuts to me, like, this whole thing that she's doing. But it's this is she's pushing the boundaries because she wants to rebel. You know, we all have this desire within us to get away with something. It never gets, it never leaves us, even as that stealing that cookie out of the cookie jar when mom isn't looking. That never ends for us as we get older. There are certain moments where we enjoy kind of getting of away course, with something. Absolutely. And I think this is a moment for her as she's rebelling to kind of pushing the boundaries and the limits. She wants to cause a reaction here. I don't think she's as malevolent here as she becomes later on in the film, but I think here it's more a matter of like pushing back against this cage, this her own aquarium that she's in, yeah. you know? So yeah. Well, and I think she's toying with yes. blowing it blowing everything up. Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't think she's made the decision I'm right. going to blow everything up, right. but she's going like, well, if I do this, there's a possibility everything could blow up. Yeah, and who cares if Ben is caught in the crossfire? Yeah, or That's anybody. Unfortunate. Anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh so Maury Hamilton uh, comes home Great. and uh he He's great in this movie. He's so good. Mm-hmm. And you feel really bad for this yes, guy. The whole film. I guess you could say he's a victim in a way, but maybe yes or maybe no. We'll see. Well, we don't know what their relationship right. we don't know we don't know inside that. We only world. see her angle yeah. on it. But I he is one of my favorite voices on film. One of my favorite yeah. voices. Whenever he shows up in Jaws, obviously, and when he shows up in here, he just has this kind of like gravelly kind of yeah. higher pitched gravelly, which is a really rare voice to find, is a high pitched gravelly voice. And he does a great job. Yeah. I just love his voice. And what advice does he give to Ben? <laughs> Time to sow some wild oats. <laughs> right. Go, so go you know, relax, sleep with some women, fool around. <laughs> and as he's saying this, oh, in man. the background of the shot, yes. descends Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. Fully dressed. Fully dressed. When she had said she didn't want to put her dress back on again. Yeah. There she is with the dress back on again. I mean, it, it, it's just... Fixing a dress. It's just great. <laughs> One little thing is that there's this little whimper Dustin Hoffman makes. Mm-hmm. Little... Mm. Uh, apparently, 
that's a, a noise Mike Nichols makes. <laughs> so that's, where, that. that's where that came from. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so right after this, we go right into Ben's fantastic birthday present. Yes. Which is scuba gear. Oh, my gosh. This scene is so uncomfortable <sighs> and difficult. Yeah. And, the, and again, this is like as an introvert, the parents announcing that you have to go out and perform in your scuba gear. It's just so painful. Right. And the use of subjective sound that once we're inside that mask, yeah. we're in the... <laughs> it's like Darth Vader, you know, honking yes. out. Um, and it's so... And even the parents pushing him down mm-hmm. under the water mm-hmm. till he's finally isolated alone under the water. Right. And just going... And I know he didn't come up. Like, he was like, I, I, I'm just going to stay here as long as right. I possibly can. Until the away, air runs out. Yeah. Away from these people. <laughs> but it's also symbolic, right? Because he is... scuba. What people do scuba dive is to explore the depths of the ocean, to explore sure. you know, what's down there, you know? So, in a way, it's symbolic that his parents got him that because he is ex- exploring how his the depths of his own stuff, his own misery, his own sadness, his own sexual Sexuality, you know, he's all of that. So it's very symbolic in that way. And I love that you, the shot of, of through the mask. Through the I mask, love yeah. that because you feel, like you said, see the isolation and the noise. But it's that feeling of like you can't see the per- you can't see the peripheral stuff. So there's a symbolism in that right. as well, right? You can't see left to right, so you don't know what's coming. Well, and they are literally dressing him up, yeah, in 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 an outfit of like here, be this, yes, you know. And so it's so symbolic with the film. And and so this is, I have a huge digression yeah, that yeah. I want to make. Okay, and maybe we'll cut this out of the film out of the podcast sure. maybe we won't knock yourself uh, out but okay. i was kept thinking as i was watching this film and thinking about the film yeah about this book called generations which is by uh by neil howe and william strauss okay which is a big book where they it's like a 900 page book where they created a theory that in america there are archetypal generations that have repeated themselves over and over again. Yeah, that there's essentially nice. four generation types. Okay. And what the book does is go from like 1500 until the mid 90s right. and track each generation and shows how they represent each of these archetypal types. Okay. And um, the, there are basically two dominant ones and then they alternate with two sort of less powerful ones. Okay. And the dominant ones are a practical generation and an idealist generation. Um, and that the way the theory works is that the practical generation grows up in the time of some big practical upheaval like a mm-hmm. war or a famine or a depression and that they come to power and care about building things, yeah. practical things. And the idealist generation comes of age in a spiritual upheaval. Mm-hmm. And that they care about ideas. Yeah. So an example from the Revolutionary War is that Ben Franklin is from the practical generation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's building things. He yeah. is a, he's about compromise. He's about making things work. George Washington is from the middle generation. That's the less powerful generation. Mm-hmm. And then the idealist generation is uh, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson and John Hamilton, Ad- John yeah. Adams, yeah. Madison, like all these guys. And they have the big ideas. Right. Okay. So. In this movie, Ben's parents are the GI generation. They grew up in the Depression, came of age in World War II. They are a practical generation. They care about building things. They care about... Uh, accumulating wealth mm-hmm. and and part of the idea is that they grew up in the depression where the the time they they had they had nothing they were right. scared right. and so what they want to create for their children is 
a space in which they don't have to experience those things. Right. And you see the parents doing this. They're like, we're giving you education and money and time and opportunities that we had a nice car, all the things we didn't have. Right. And because of that, they're creating the space for the child to question the ideals of the parent. Mm-hmm. And that Ben is part of the baby boom generation. Right. And the baby boom generation are the idealists who come of age during the great spiritual upheaval, which is the 60s, yeah. where everyone is questioning the ideals of the previous generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so this movie so perfectly sums up these two generations and why they can't figure each other out. Yeah. You know, because the parents are like, we've done all this great right, stuff. Look at right. this. Look at everything we built. And Ben's going, what does this mean? Yeah. What is its point? Yeah. And just one last thing, and then I'll end my digression, which is just to show the power of these two dominant generations, is that from, is that John Kennedy is the first of the GI generation to be president. Mm-hmm. That generation holds the presidency for the next 32 years. Wow. All of them from Kennedy to George H.W. Bush in 92, mm-hmm. all served in World War II. Hmm. They're all the GI Joe, GI Joe. They're all the GI generation. Mm-hmm. The silent generation, which is the generation that comes after them, has no presidents. Right. The the generation that finally beats the GI generation is the baby boomers. That's Bill Clinton. Right. That's George W. Bush. That's also Donald Trump. They're yeah. all baby boomers. Right. Barack Obama. He's one of us. He's Generation X. <laughs> um, so Generation That's X right. is the middle generation. That's right. Um, so anyway, it's, it's it does the theory hold up? Is it perfect? No. It's got a lot of flaws to it, but it is interesting. And mm. this movie sums it up. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. So we got Ben, he's sitting on the bottom of the pool, mm-hmm. and now we have this thing, this technique they use over and over in the film, which is to pre-lap audio, yeah. which is while he's sitting on the pool, we're hearing the audio of the next scene, which is Ben calling Mrs. Robinson from a payphone. Right. Can you imagine how much time you've been thinking about this before you make this call? <laughs> well, I remember being that young, and I remember... <laughs> Uh, having those kind of thoughts in your head to figure it out if you're going to call somebody or not. So yeah, yeah I'm sure it's a, it's a little wild. Yeah. Yeah. He's a long time and that is a big phone call right. to make. But it's also his active moment, his action moment, right? This film doesn't happen if he doesn't call her. Right, absolutely. What happens yeah, in the film doesn't happen if he doesn't call her. Nope. Right, because he has nope. rejected her advances, but in, she's not going to push it because she he has rejected her. But when he calls, everything begins. I can't imagine. I wonder what happens to Ben in the universe in which he didn't make that call. I think Ben become I think Ben eventually acquiesces to his parents, gets into a loveless marriage and does what he's supposed to do and he's just frustrated for the rest of his life. That's my belief. Which doesn't mean he still doesn't end up yeah, like that at say. the end of the film. I was but it say. certainly feels like he would have been in a loveless marriage for different reasons. I don't know. Yeah. Because maybe he's not just completely destroyed by his Mrs. Robinson's relationship and he gets through his moment of you know, I don't. I don't know. It's hmm. a good I, question to ask. I, I, I don't know. We'll talk about um, it later. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's going to go into the Taft Hotel. Yes. First thing he sees is a bunch of old people coming out, and this is like the details of this movie. Yeah. They're all so good. Yeah. You know, Buck Henry pops up. Right. Um, and by the way, the reason that Buck Henry has that part is because Gene Hackman was fired. Oh. Because Murray Hamilton. Was either maybe was going to play Benjamin's dad, okay, and uh, the actor playing Benjamin's dad was going to play the hotel clerk. Gotcha. They move Murray Hamilton to Mr. Robinson. Hotel clerk becomes, which is I forget his name, but he becomes Benjamin's dad. Right. And William then, Daniels. William Daniels. Yep. Thank you. Another great actor. Yes. And then suddenly there's a part for Buck Henry, who's hilarious as this clerk. <laughs> He's so good. There's a line in this scene that I want to talk about. I wrote, "Oh, are you here for an affair?" 
the single man party, the single man party. I mean, that's so symbolic. It's oh. so great the way it's written. Are you here for an affair? Which, of course, he <laughs> is. And then the single man party, which he is, a single man. Oh, it's hadn't so you think perfect. about single men? Yeah, of course. That it's is perfect. hilarious. It's all set up. The thing Nichols does throughout this whole movie is he sets up what the scene's going to be about before the scene even fucking starts. It's brilliant. It, and he gets away with it because it's so well written and it's so well acted he, it, that it just slides underneath you. It's oh, yeah. so well done, uh, man. Amazing. And finally, he uh, Mrs. Robin shows up, Ben's in a bar. Yep. We see her first come in in reflection. And then we have this amazing dialogue of, did you get a room? Do you want me to get yeah. a room? Should I get a room? Did you get us a room? What? Have you gotten us a room yet? I haven't, no. Do you want to? Well, I don't. I mean, I could. Or we could just talk. You want me to get it? You? Oh, no, no, I'll get it. Do you want to get it now? Now? Yes. Well, I don't know. Why don't you get it? Why don't I get it? Well, I will then, if you'll excuse me. Well, it's perfect. Yeah. It's That's a woman who has lived her life. The woman understands how this goes. And she, and he is a stumbling fool who does not understand how to oh, seduce yeah. a woman in any way, shape, or form. And it's he, just a great, great diet. Their scenes are some of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, man. they're great. Yeah. He goes to get a room, and we have just again with Buck Henry the most awkward, yes. embarrassing, like going to write on the card and then putting the card in his pocket because he's got to change his name. That's about luggage. Yes, I have right. luggage. No, we'll get your luggage. No, no, I don't. And even the little gag with the bell. Yes. The gag with the bell is perfect comedy. Of course it is. And you have to remember, Mike Nichols comes from Nichols and Mays, yeah. one of the great comedy teams of all time. So we go up to, he yeah. goes up to the hotel room. <laughs> Mrs. Robinson comes into the hotel room. Yes. Uh, and again, it's so wonderfully awkward. Yes. What do you want me to do? You know, I love, like she goes, well, why don't, why don't I undress? Okay. Yeah. What do you want me to do? Why don't you watch? <laughs> uh, so perfect. And then there's a moment which is so amazing. Yeah. Which is Benjamin comes around behind her and puts his hand on her breast. Yes. Um, it's so awkward. So this is how it happened. Oh. Um, so Nichols is asking, because Dustin Hobbs is a method guy, which means you right. talk about your own experience, your own life, your own history. And so Nichols is talking to him. He says, well, what's the first time you ever you know, made out with a girl? And he said, oh, it was junior high. And he tells this whole story. Yeah. And he tells this story about he put his hand on her breast. And he was right. so excited to do that. And she didn't respond. And he said, okay, why don't you do that to Annie? And didn't tell her. Oh. So, which I obviously I have a problem with. Right, but right. I can't have a problem with the scene and how it turned out because right. it's amazing. So, and, and I'm not sh- and this is what happened. So, he walks up behind her. He does this thing. Yeah. And she, and this is a sign of an amazing actress. Yeah. Her response, without missing a beat, is to see some little spot on her clothes and start trying to you know, scrape off the yeah. little spot. It is so indifferent to, <laughs> and to come up with that in the moment yeah. while the camera's rolling. And he, and, and Dustin Hoffman is yeah. about, he thought it was so funny. He starts to break. Right. So what does he do? He walks to the side of the room and bangs his head against the wall. Yeah. That again is improv. Oh, wow. That just came up in the moment. That's great. And Nichols goes, Yes, we're keeping that. <laughs> like that is an amazing film. Moment. I remember thinking how out of step that was him banging his head on the on the wall, but that but it makes perfect sense for where his character is in that moment. And I love yeah. that, but because I'm sure because Anne Bancroft, I'm sure, has had those uncomfortable moments with men before. So she knows exactly how to just completely diffuse them and it was a perfect improv moment from her own life. Right. In, in her own method. Probably. Way. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Women deal with this all the time, man. One one other little gag we didn't talk about is just which is again so perfect comedy yeah. is she takes a drag of the yes. cigarette, yes. he kisses her, yes. long kiss, he stops kissing her, 
exhale. There's nothing sexy about their seduction at all. No. She's sexy, but there's nothing sexy about it. Like you know, which is perfect because he has to be completely uh, uh, unaware. And by the way, do you, what do you think about her wearing green? To me, this sim- this is interesting that she wears green because it implies snake, snake being Garden of ah. Eden, deflowering of Ben taking Ben's apple, basically Ben eating the apple and being deflowered and seeing himself like it. Just he's it's awakening. Never occurred to me, but that's a great really? great point. Oh, well, yeah. with the animal prints, it just makes sense to me. It made sense totally to me. Totally great point. So yeah, all right. yeah, yeah, really good point. And then there's this moment where it's about to not happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and she says she suddenly asks him if she, if he's a virgin. Yeah. First oh all, yes, great. First of all, do you think he's a virgin? Yes, absolutely. I kind of gone back and forth about it. Oh, I think he is. Um, he certainly. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure he's played doctor, yeah. but he's never had sex. Okay, um, that's the first thing. And mm-hmm. then what she does to him, just because you're inadequate in one way. <laughs> Wait a minute. On your first time. Who said it was my first time? Wait a minute. Inadequate. I mean, just because you happen to be inadequate in one way. Inadequate. That is so mm-hmm. horrible mm-hmm. and manipulative. This and, is the beginning of the of the change in her. Is that line? Well, I don't know if it's a change in her, but maybe a change in our feelings about her. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, her motives start to change in this moment. Um, yeah, she... That is so horrible. Mm-hmm. And this brings up another question I have. Yeah. Um, how long has she been planning this? Oh, I think she knew before he came back from school. So she... so She's she had in, her eye on him for a while. Was, was he in high school when she started thinking about this? Maybe. Maybe or even... Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. Or maybe some random trip from college back. All of a sudden, he's kind of come into his manhood. And she finds him strangely attractive. I mean, it's like Murray Hamilton is this amazingly good-looking dude either. So she has her type. And I think she sees in him that she can get away with what she wants to do and she can control the situation. Because she has not felt in control in her life, probably her entire life. Ever since she's had Elaine, she has not had control of her life. She's been her mother or his wife. And that's the thing. And so in this situation, she finds the right guy that she can reclaim some sense of control in her life. It's so, it's so interesting you say that because I think you're exactly right in, in, in this mm. idea of control. Yeah. And you think of this woman, it's like she's wealthy. Yes. She has, sleeps in her own bedroom. Yes. She does whatever the hell she wants every day. Right. She describes her day as like I get up, I go shopping. Yeah. It's like she has, in, from what a lot of people would think, is has way more control over her life mm-hmm. than someone who doesn't have money, who's you right. know, struggling, working. They don't, you know. And yet her feeling, which is exactly what you said, is she has no control over her life. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask is, has she done this before? No. I don't think she has. She ever had an affair before? I don't, I don't, nothing about this radiates her, nothing about what she does radiates to me as this is a, seasoned practice that she's been doing she i bet she might have had a uh, i bet she might have had a stolen kiss with a tennis pro or somebody or maybe with one of the husbands but i don't think she's ever like fully d- done this because she's been a, as much as she's hated the idea that she's in a life where she feels no control over she also didn't want to risk her life and she's doing this when elaine is not there and yeah. elaine has been there the whole time until she went to college Right. So, or, or no, she's coming. She's about to go to Berkeley or whatever. Right? right. So she hasn't been. So this, I think she's finding the opportunity to do this. And this is the moment. Yeah. I don't you know? know. And of course we can't know. It's a we midlife crisis. Yeah, isn't it? Know. I, I, I feel like it's a midlife crisis. She's so confident. 
part of me goes like, oh, she's done this before. Well, she's confident because she's she's women become confident as they get older. Like they change from the twenties to thirties to forties. And I love experiencing this. I, I've dated women in the twenties. When I was in twenties, I'm doing thirties, forties. Women come into their power in their thirties. My experience: majority of women come into their power in their thirties. They really come into their power in their forties. Like there's just a sense of understanding how the world works. When you're in your twenties, it's you're not as aware, you know. And they're more emotionally capable than us as men. That's been proven on numerous studies. So you can't touch me on that. But like women, <laughs> women just mature faster than men. Women are able to handle situations. And we see stats now coming out that women are graduating at higher rates than men are. Women are achieving jobs in the sure. market and becoming executives quicker than men are. There are books being written about this now currently, and men are feeling the pressure, which is why you have those stupid men's groups that have been created to kind of supposedly fight back against this idea of feminism, yeah. which is bullshit. But what you're seeing here, and I love that it's 1967. You're yeah. seeing a woman of this kind of power. We saw this with Betty Davis in the 40s and 50s, but you see it once again with Anne Bancroft here. She's really powerful throughout this whole movie. Absolutely. No yeah. question about it. So after she calls Ben inadequate. I mean, just because you happen to be inadequate in one way. Inadequate? Well, I guess I Don't move. But we have yeah. this moment where we see Ben silhouetted in the light. We see Miss Robinson's face very quickly, and then he slams a door. And it is almost a scary moment. Yes. Like, 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 if this had been a different movie, this is like an attack moment. If, you this know? Is, if that's a man and that's a young girl, that's yeah. almost rape. Yeah. Yes. That's how, that's how their sex is. That first sex is like yeah. framed as something, we don't get to see it. No. But something fairly intense. Yeah. And then we go into one of the most remarkable montages in film history. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping That's fantastic. Yeah. So many jump cuts. Uh, and and uh, and like match cuts going on, like you know, I think that's. I mean, you think I hope I'm using the terms correctly when he yeah. when he jumps on top of the inflatable tube, like jumping on top well, of that Mrs. might Robinson. be. That, there's an argument to me that that's the greatest cut in film history. Ooh, that cut, I wouldn't disagree. Is so and 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 describe a little bit of what's happening mm. is that he's at his home in the pool and doing stuff at his yeah. house and then he'll get up and walk and as he'll move into a new place he's moving into the hotel room with Mrs. Right, Robinson right. and then he's lying on the bed with Mrs. Robinson she, she moves out of the way and he gets out of his bed in yeah. his house and there's this sense his dad comes and says what are you doing he says oh I'm just drifting Yeah, and that's how that whole montage feels yep. and the cut that we're talking about is he jumps into the water he's swimming underwater he comes out of the water onto the raft mm-hmm. and he comes onto the raft onto Mrs. Robinson right. and it is a cut like you could back it up and go back and forth over it mm-hmm. and watch and you can't see it right even though it's right in front of you yeah. it's so in, it is both invisible and visible at the same time exactly and it's again symbolic as well because the only way out of the depths of his of being underwater in his life are the moments that he has with Mrs. Robinson. These are the moments where he doesn't feel like he doesn't know what he's like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like he doesn't know he's not drifting. I think with her, he feels a sense of uh danger and fun and breaking away from the standard status quo of his life. And so him jumping out of the water is him is him like it's so symbolic for me when he come it, when he it, has it, sex it's with her. It's funny cuz I don't feel that way at all. Really? Yeah, I feel totally differently. Mm. I mean, is that for me is that they're so linked together. I, mm-hmm. I definitely think he feels danger with her. Right. I don't think he feels fun with her. I think it's all empty. No, okay, that's a fair point. Maybe not fun, but the danger... Oh, well, that's the way I look at things. Dangerous is fun to me. So, sorry, I'm sorry. But Ben... But ben well, ben, no, but that's a perfectly reasonable interpretation. Sure, but Ben jumping out of the water, to me, 
when he's when he lands on top of her, it, that to me is him kind of. Those are the moments that he can climb out of this feeling of of being underwater. I think he feels something. Yes, you know what I mean. Like right. that's what's so because to me, watching this movie now, it's like oh. Ben is deeply, if not clinically, depressed. Right, but he's also rebelling against this Absolutely. whole idea. And I think being with her is his but rebellion. But his rebellion isn't his rebellion isn't giving him any pleasure. No, no, it's a meandering well, that's rebellion. What's, that's what's so what's so is that in another director's hands, yeah. Mrs. Robinson would be titillating. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That we would it would be exciting. Yes. That is not how this feels. No. There's nothing it's, it's this it's so empty. It's so devoid mm-hmm. of any passion. Yeah. And this montage is so beautifully constructed. Yeah. And not fulfilling. Nope. You know? And, and and the other thing we have to talk about in this montage that we've been hearing throughout the film is Simon and Garfunkel. Right. I was wondering when we were going to get to that. Yes. So this montage has two songs, which is really unusual to have two songs back yeah. to back. as Sound of Silence and April Come She Will. Yeah. April Come She Will. How do you feel about Simon and Garfunkel? I fucking love Simon and Garfunkel. And I, I, I bought like their collected works I have it too. back in the 90s yep. when it was a three CD or four CD collection. I have that. Yep. Yeah, I have and that I didn't know a lot of their music till I bought that. And I was blown away by how many songs I love that have never charted on the charts, yeah. never been released to singles that are fantastic. And they and he they I think they wrote all this music before Almost the movie. It, yeah. They didn't Almost write all, all of it. it for the movie, right? I think Mrs. Robinson was obviously written for the movie. I think most of everything else was written already and recorded yep, already. Yep. And used perfectly in the film. Well, so so this is like my music. This is the yeah. music I grew up with. Yeah. I listened like for me, I'm an old school guy, like Beatles, Simon and yeah, Garfunkel. Absolutely. Like that that's, that's the our stuff generation, I listen man, to. I listened to it over stuff. and over and over again. Yeah. And the way this happened was Nichols is working on the movies in pre production and he someone had handed him the so he had never heard it before, handed him some Simon and Garfunkel albums and he was listening to them while he was working and there's one morning he woke up, he's listening to Sound of Silence and he just goes, Oh, <laughs> this is my movie. Yeah. Calls up Paul Simon and they, they make a deal. And this is something that had never really never been done before, which mm-hmm. is to use existing already recorded pop songs yeah. as the entire soundtrack for a film. They've never done it before. And he did have Paul Simon in the studio playing guitar. And they did, as you say, Mrs. Robinson is, is created. It was actually a song that they were working with for their oh, next album oh, how funny. called Mrs. Roosevelt. <laughs> um, and, and they just took out Roosevelt wow. and put in Robinson. That's great. And what Joe DiMaggio has to do with it, we have, uh, we have no idea. Yeah. It makes more sense with Mrs. Roosevelt than it does with Mrs. Robinson because well, it's all these kind of images of Americana. Exactly, exactly. Um, but but uh, yeah, and the, the, the music is just... And apparently with this montage... Mm-hmm. They had cut the montage, and they had put. Then they just put the music on it, oh, wow. and it just worked. Yep. And you know, with very very little adjustment. And this is a, I can now use finally my absolute all time favorite film school highfalutin word. Oh shit! Which is go. psychoacoustic psychoacoustic coincidence. Okay. Let me say that again so I don't stumble. I can now use my favorite film school big word. I like that you stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> okay it's, it's perfect the weirdest... moment All for right. you to stumble it'll now stay in just about to what you're about to say it'll... no you do two takes go ahead um it's psychoacoustic coincidence oh and what this is is where you put a piece of music on some film and mm-hmm. it just works yeah the most classic example is playing dark side of the moon while watching wizard of oz yes that is psychoacoustic coincidence That's fantastic and it's a magical thing in the editing room where you just put some music on and suddenly things take on weight and meaning and <laughs> substance and they sync up in all these perfect ways and you're like it is like god handed right. me this piece of music right um it's amazing that's awesome so the montage ends with this with uh ben looking up into the silhouetted face of his dad yeah would you mind telling me then what those four years of college were for what was the point of all that hard work 
You got me. Soon to be joined by the Robinsons. Yes. Say hello to Mrs. Robinson, Benjamin. Hello, Mrs. Robinson. Hello, Benjamin. Uh, yeah. It's all an amazing in soft moment. focus, all mm-hmm. in, the, you know, in the sun. Oh, and one thing I thought about, Karen actually brought this up while we were watching. Yeah. Ben's look in this movie with the sunglasses and the cigarette, did it make you think of Tom Cruise in Risky Business? I can see that, but it didn't. Yeah, totally. Both Karen and I had oh, that same interesting. response. Because um, he's so not Tom Cruise, it didn't, it didn't occur to me. Um, and now we hear the first mention of, oh, Elaine's coming back soon. Right. We should see Elaine. And uh, then Ben's getting ready. He's shaving, and in comes Mom. He has yeah. this conversation with Mom. What are you doing, Ben? Where, where do you go at night? Right. Ben doesn't answer. Well, he it does. Was, oh, he does. You're he doesn't right. give her a straight answer, yeah, he, but he says, like, I go driving. I go driving. Yeah, yeah. Till noon. Yeah. And then she walks out. By the way, I'm more attracted to Ben's mom than I am to Mrs. Robbins. Like, I found that sure. actress more attractive to me than Anne Bancroft. And I found that an interesting thing this time around. <laughs> it's like, oh, I kind of want Ben's mom. It's an enti- kinda entirely hot. different movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so now we're back in the hotel room. Yeah. And Ben wants to have a conversation with Mrs. Robinson. Right. So interesting. Why, why don't we talk? And from this, you can feel just the complete emptiness of this relationship. Yeah. I mean, it is totally devoid of anything. And she purposely wants it that way. Yeah. She does not want to connect with him. No. Because then, then her sin, her sin becomes too real. Yeah. While he's some kind of person she can control and she can ins- she can keep from talking, so she doesn't have to actually get to know him as a person, she cannot feel the guilt of hurting him. She cannot feel the guilt of destroying him, right? Something they right. say about uh, with hostage situations. Like, they, they, the, you, oh, yeah. when you're talking on camera, when you're trying to negotiate with the hostage through the camera or through the, host- the hostage taker, you want to speak about the person's name over and over again. Humanize you want, them. Yeah, humanize them yeah. so that they understand they're not taking an object, they're taking a human being. So this is the opposite yeah well she kind of has him trapped but yeah well and and she she's sort of like i will allow you to objectify me yes and in exchange i will objectify you exactly yeah because you're both getting something out of it yeah yeah something yeah yeah what they're i mean what they're getting ends up being so sad right but it's up to you to decide so so we have this we have this conversation and the conversation and this is amazing screenwriting conversation starts with what do you want to talk about oh art art that's a good subject you started off you started off. I don't know anything about it. Well, what do you want to know about it? Are you interested more in modern art or in classical art? Neither. You're not interested in art? No. Then why do you want to talk about it? I don't. And then we go on this journey, and we talk about Elaine, mm-hmm. and we discover that, oh, they got married because she got pregnant. Yeah. And Ben's delight that Elaine got created, conceived in a Ford mm-hmm. is huge. And finally, we get back to, oh, you were in college. What did you study in college? Benjamin, why are you asking me all these questions? Because I'm interested, Mrs. Robinson. Now, what was your major subject at college? Art. Art? But I thought you... Hmm. I guess you kind of lost interest in it over the years, then. Kind of. <laughs> and Anne Bancroft's face yeah and the sadness and the loss and the mm-hmm. like I my sense I don't know what yours is is that she loved art yep and that she that love was destroyed mm-hmm. and she to the point where she can't love art now nope 
Yeah. Which is why she doesn't want to talk about it with Ben because she doesn't want to share herself with Ben in that way. Not in that way. Yeah. That's a romantic way. She doesn't want to do that. Well, and even with herself. Yeah. Like she doesn't want to open up that whole, you know. Absolutely. It's so painful, this moment. And in this moment also, we get her grabbing Ben's hair. But then, right. And saying, you will never take out a line that's the moment see this is what's so great about this these these two moments back to back steve is it's the last time i personally feel sympathy for mrs robinson that movie is when she has that look on her face about art and then the second she turns the next switch to grab ben by his hair and tell him we won't go, that's when she goes on this she goes into the villain tract she becomes maleficent in my mind wow she does because she i mean as we'll see later, like she accuses him of rape. That's oh, yeah. fucked up. And she, in order to, in order to save her own fucked up situation, she lies about it. She destroys him, and she almost destroys him. Um, yeah. Well, and maybe she does. And maybe I she mean, does. Because yeah, exactly. we don't get to know. Exactly. Um, and one thing, by the way, that hair pull apparently was so painful that uh, really hurt Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> and he was furious. Well, fuck him for grabbing her boob. Well, that's an that, exchange to me. This seems like a fair point. That seems like an exchange. Also, to me. when Elaine slapped him, yeah, she ruptured his eardrum. Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so Dustin Hoffman took some licks. Well, this was method acting back then. Yeah, That's what there they you did. go. What you signed up for? Let's drop it. We're not dropping it. I'm good enough for you, but I'm not good enough to associate with your daughter. That's it, isn't yeah, it? Man. Isn't it? Yes. You go to hell. You go straight to hell, Mrs. Robinson. Do you think I'm proud of myself? Do you think I'm proud of this? I wouldn't know. Well, I am not. You're not. No, sir. I'm not proud that I spend my time with a broken-down alcoholic. I see. And if you think I come here for any reason besides pure boredom, then you're all wrong. So now yes. we just said, don't you, don't you dare date Elaine? Yeah. What do his parents want him to do? Date Elaine. Yes. And they put the screws on him. They really do. And it's and and it sort of he feels he has no choice. Mm-hmm. Now he comes over to take Elaine out. Once again, he's a victim through a whole movie of everything else around him because yeah. he cannot stand his ground for what he wants because he doesn't even fucking know what he wants. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is this is and this is where my I feel a real affinity for Ben in the beginning up to this point. And now I'm sort of going, yeah. dude, you actually have control of you have everything. Yes. You have wealth. You have education. You have privilege. Your parents are actually being really nice to you. Yeah. They're saying, hey, take some time. Right. And when he's just sitting and drinking all day and out mm-hmm. all night, they're tiptoeing around him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and going, oh, no, it's okay, okay. Right. They don't want to... I mean, oh, oh, he's a whiny little bitch. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the film is fantastic and the humor is great. It's a fun film. But he's a whiny little bitch yeah. through the whole film because he can be. Because he comes from privilege. I came from poverty. You don't right. get to lie around a fucking house. Right. You go get a job. You want to get a car. You go get a job. You want to buy clothes. You go get a job. You want to do these things. You don't get to lie around the fucking house and have existential crisis. Fuck right. off. Go work. And this is the thing about these rich movies sometimes. For me, it's tough to watch because I'm less like, uh but this film is so well done that it transcends that shit. And he does a great job with bringing Ben to life because you can see his struggle with his own trying to figure out where he belongs in the world. And he's mirroring what's happening to that whole generation in the 60s already because oh, yeah. we're coming out of the flower power movement and we're, we're coming right, into yeah. the reality of the late 60s, which was Vietnam, which was the destruction of the flower power movement, disillusionment, bombings by the, his, these hippies that had been all about peace and love were all of a sudden constructing bombs and, and trying to blow things up. So it's a change. Well, this is, this is really it's the beginning of the flood because this is summer of love yes 67 and it's the, the last gasp yeah and yeah. this is why i brought up that whole thing about generations is that the generation before created the space yeah. Yeah. for the to become an idealist yes. because someone doesn't like for instance if you look at revolutions around the world yeah the person 
almost always leading the revolution is a rich kid. Yes. Lenin. Castro. Yeah. He's that you don't, because if you're just desperate to survive, yeah. you don't have the time to sit back and think. Nope. And think about what's wrong with society and then lead the revolution. Right. Now, whether or not you like these people who led the revolution is beside the point. Sure. Is that is that you need, is Jefferson needed the time to mm-hmm. sit and think. Mm-hmm. He wasn't struggling to survive. Right. You know, he was a rich kid. And that is what gets you the Declaration of Independence. Exactly. It's also what gets you a guy that sleeps with his slaves. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, is is so, True. Um, and, and Ben is definitely, okay, you got some space and what right. did you do with it? Right. You fucked this uh, older woman yeah. and then you just ruined, you just trashed everything. And yeah. now he's off to go on a date with Elaine and the shot of Mrs. Robinson sitting... Oh. As he's taking, I, I've made it very clear. Yeah, the ang- you feel it now. Like yeah. the anger is now on fire, even right. though she's still flat. Right. But man, it is so profound. And uh, I don't know what the best date ever on film is, <laughs> but this is not it. No, this, <laughs> this is, terrible is so date. terrible. Yeah, what he does. It's the worst date ever. Driving fast, he's walking away from her. Right. She's struggling to keep up, and then the strip club. <sighs> wow. Yeah. It is so humiliating yeah. and horrible right. and cruel. I don't understand how... Because this is where I go, man, what's up with Elaine? That she likes this guy. Well, because she's probably had that kind of treatment in her house. That kind yeah. of feeling of like... Wanting to please the unpleasable yes, person. exactly. You know? A lot of women have... The, a lot of men and women have this situation oh, yeah. within them from their own relationship, from their own parents, like yeah. instilled in them, this idea of unpleasing, uh, trying to please the unpleasing. Well, the people pleaser, you know, a lot of yeah. children of alcoholics, which yes. she's an alcoholic, yes. of like how, if when you have the dragon in the house, right. how do you please this person? Right. And so Ben, he knows he's gone too far, and then he has this moment of sympathy chases after, and now we have part two of the date. Yeah. Where they actually talk and they share. And it's because she's crying. When she cries, he breaks. The yeah. better part of Ben shows up and he realizes what yeah. he's done because through her tears, he sees himself. He can't yeah. do what she's doing. He can't oh, cry. He can't lament and cry great for point. his own fucking shitty situation. So when he chases her down, he's really like, that's what he says. This is not me. This is, you know, I don't know. This is blah, blah. And then they connect on talking about how they feel like they, their parents want them to do all these kinds of things that they don't want to do, right? Which is universal. This is universal at that age yeah. for most people. And so it's a great scene. And when he tries to get them to turn down the music, they just put the hood on and yeah. put the windows and they have a great, they yeah. have a great connection. Great and they're connection. really beautiful. And when he takes her home, he says, I want to see you tomorrow. It's, it's beautiful, man. Yeah. And in the scene, he articulates very much what is going to be the 60s generation, which yeah. he says this thing of... It's like I've been playing some kind of game, but the rules don't make any sense to me. They're being made up by all the wrong people. No. I mean, no one makes them up. They seem to have made themselves up. There we go. Or no yeah. one makes them up, which I think is a great button on that. And that is... That's the 60s, man. Yeah. That's the hippies. That's the mm-hmm. that's all these movements to try to tear down the society's rules articulated mm-hmm. in this one line yep. from this character. And it's not surprising that this movie connects with this entire new generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we go back to the house and she's like, why, why don't you come into the house? No, I don't think that's such a good idea. Let's go get a drink or something. And yeah. she says, oh, why don't we go to the Taft Hotel? Oh, so great. Like, why don't you just say, let's go somewhere else? Yeah, right. Why does he go? <laughs> right. Of course, the reason he goes is because it's going to be really funny yeah. when everyone says, hello, Mr. Gladstone. <laughs> And then he reveals to her, yeah. finally, yeah, I'm having this affair with this older woman. Yeah. Or I had this affair with this I had this affair. Yeah, it's right, over right. now. She has yeah. a husband and a son. And Yeah. Um, but he wants to see her again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> ben, Ben, Ben. I mean... And it's really beautiful when he drops her off. It is. Right? It it's is. sweet. And you know what? 
This is where my lack of romance comes in. Ooh, interesting. Which is that you can't see her again. Don't what? see her again. What? You had an affair with her mom. Yeah. She is off limits. There is no way that this can work out in any way. Sure. Um, and, and I know he, they're young people in love. This is like when we had the West Side Story conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I understand that what the movie is. I understand yeah. what the character motivations are. But this is where I turn on Ben. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's like, uh because I look at this and like, there's no way this is going to work out. Yeah, right. yeah. It's that's all going to be point. terrible. Yeah. But of course, he does. He wants to take her out. I love that it's raining. Uh, it's, which, by the way, it isn't. It's bright, sunny day that oh, day. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of suns. You can kind of tell if you look at it. They're like literally just showing, shooting yeah. a hose in the foreground, and the background's like, you know, beautiful. Right, right, right. Uh, Mrs. Robinson gets in the car. Oh, my God. And, uh, and by the way, you should say, Anne Bancroft's like 33. Yeah, yeah. She's like just a few years older than Ben. Yeah. And in this scene, you can really see it, I think. Yes, because um, the, the gray hair isn't as prevalent. Yeah, and, she, and she, she's just the wet face. She's wet face, yeah. And she says, if you try to pursue her, I'm going to tell her everything. Right. Does she mean it? No, I don't think she means it yet. I think it's an empty threat. I don't yeah, think she's going to do at it at all. At this point, it's an empty threat. I think if he had kept going... He, she might have eventually done it. Well, because I don't think she she's had total control over this guy, right? And so I don't think it's it even occurs free to her. Yeah. yeah. And so what Ben does is to try to control the situation is he runs up to mm-hmm. Elaine, mm-hmm. who's getting dressed. She's yeah. smiling. Oh, what are you doing here? Ha ha ha! Doing? Elaine, I have to tell you something. What is it? That woman. What? That woman, that older woman that I told you about. You mean that yes, one? Yes, the married woman. That wasn't just some woman. What are you telling me? Benjamin, will you just tell me what this is all about? And the shot of Mrs. Robinson framed in that doorway. Yeah. And the slow rack focus back to Elaine. She's so good, Steve. As this is her, my, this is my Catherine Ross. Yes, yeah. This is my favorite acting moment that she's ever done in anything ever. It's I agree. So I, I totally agree. And complex, like there's levels deep. I mean, the moment seeing the discovery on her mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? Find you have this person who's your age, who's you're now finding out had an affair with your yeah. parent, like the the shock of it. Well, also because you glimpse the possibility of a romance with this man, the possibility of getting out of this situation, this terrible situation with the parents. Because I'm sure she sensed their uh, like her lack of love for her, for her dad. You know, she sensed her mom's lack of love for her dad. I'm sure she sensed that. So there's this window of a fantasy of a possibility, and it's ripped away in the most ugliest way possible. To have your mom. Well, and if I hadn't, if I hadn't turned on Ben before, yeah, I did now. Really? Well, okay. Because this is horrible. What he does yeah. to her in this moment, this is as cruel. It's like you're gonna. You had one date with someone. Yeah. It's like, hey, let me destroy your entire right. uh, sense of your life. Right. Right. Let me rip your family completely apart. It's a good point. I mean, it is so horrible. It's a selfish desire for his own happiness. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and a good point, Steve. It is yeah. so. I mean. And yes, I understand the motivation. Sure, of course, not, of course. I'm not course. turning on the movie. No, no, no. But I am turning on Ben. That's fair. And the next shot, as great as that shot is, the next shot is amazing, which is the slow zoom back from Mrs. Robinson's face to Ben. Yeah. Is And her isolated mm-hmm. and cold and alone and small yeah. at the end of this hallway. It gave me a remembrance of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the German. Because mm. the, the, wow. it almost seems like the hallway is uh, twil- tilted. Yeah. You know, and it makes it sense that because that, that's feeling when something really emotional happens for you, you kind of don't see the world in the squares that anymore. Everything is kind of off kilter. And that completely conveyed, that moment is completely conveyed. Her emotional moments could be conveyed from the way it's shot. And, yeah. and, and it's much 
much as Mrs. Robinson is a horrible person, yes. as she said, I feel bad for her. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel really and bad for her. The shot of the sadness in her face through the doorway first, yeah. and then then when he steps out and sees her against the wall, it's even more painful. Yeah. It is. It is. And it's the th- you know what? It's the thing we talked about mm-hmm. before of Mrs. Robinson toying with the idea of blowing it all up. Right. Now it's all blown up. Now it's all blown up. Yeah. Look and here that. she is in this moment. Mm-hmm. I How mean, much it, control do you have now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. 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 And then Ben's sort of back in his, his depression. Yeah. And then he comes up with this really great idea. <laughs> Not really great idea <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson. Stupid, fantastical, idealistic, spoiled idea. Yeah. Okay. Ridiculous. Yes. Destructive. Destructive. Uh, and like, you know, you had one date. Yeah. Your life has been completely fraught mm-hmm. in this depressed, crazy event. And right. now you've just reached out like a drowning man mm-hmm. and said, this is what's going to work. This was what's going to save gonna me. She's going to save me. Yeah, She's exactly. going to save me. Exactly, yeah. Steve, yeah. So he goes up to Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, again, we have beautiful Simon and Garfunkel uh, music. Well, I don't want to jump over a quick moment. The moment he has with his parents. Oh, you're right. We got to talk about that's this. such we a great moment that, because that's let you know right there. Once again, that's another uh, window into the difference between the two generations. Yeah. His dad's like, well, "Did you tell the parents? Did you tell the parents? Did you blah blah blah?" And he's they're all excited at first, of course. And then they slowly deconstruct the fact that it's one of his flights of fancy again. They're like, "Oh my god, this yeah. kid." Yeah, and, and so, this is where you know Ben needs to get slapped. Yeah, he needs to get disciplined in the ass. Yeah. You know, right. um, and I, I mean, I understand his parents because they had a kid who it seems like did everything right yeah. until he was 20. Right. Overachiever, disciplined, yeah. hardworking. Right. And so they're not used to how they don't have the skills yeah. to deal with the kid who's suddenly doing everything wrong. Right. Which is a great point, Steve, because yeah. a lot of the people who were involved with Manson were these like head of the cheerleader squad. Right. Top, they were oh, yeah. like top of their class. You and go and do research switched. on the Manson family and a lot of them are these high end achieving people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ben drives up to, to Berkeley. Yes. Strangely enough, he drives the wrong way on the Bay Bridge. <laughs> you nerd. You fucking nerd. If you talk to anyone in San Francisco, they know this. Because the, the, because the Bay Bridge is double-decker. And if you drove yeah. if you drove towards Berkeley, you're inside. Right. Um, so he's on the top deck going to San Francisco. Okay. It's still a beautiful shot. He doesn't actually go to Berkeley for a bunch of that stuff. Because <laughs> this is my school. And then he does go to Berkeley. And it really is full. I mean, you, I'm sure, you know, when you see movies that are from where you came from. Yeah, true. I mean, if they make movies there, yeah, I don't no, know. No, they don't. Other <laughs> than The did, Purge. Other you than The Purge. Yeah. Oh, the Purge is yeah, right there? Yeah, Dale City is one of the cities in The Purge. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, and, then, and then Ben, like, you're like, what's this guy's plan? Yeah. Like, and he is essentially... A stalker. A stalker. Yes, that occurred to me too. Yep. How romantic it is in the old movies to see the stalking. Now that we, because you have that idea, you know, that you can go and go get what you want. Movies can be really corruptive in that way, man. Yeah. They make you believe that you can do this kind of stuff. Well, and, and, and Arthur, you know, it's like there's part of you that's like, oh, this is romantic. Yeah, he's it is. in love with her. Yeah. You know, he sat and wrote Elaine, 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 which right. apparently is something Buck Henry did, and he's pining after her. And one thing we should say, by the way, Catherine Ross is among the most beautiful women. Absolutely. Ever on film. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. and so there is something romantic about it. Yes. And there's something pretty creepy about it. Right. You know, uh, he gets his own apartment that yeah. Norman Fell is nice enough <laughs> Mr. to. Mr. Roper, yeah. Mr. Roper is running the yeah. place. And uh, slowly but surely, he kind of stalks her and then yeah. accidentally on purpose runs into her on this bus. Oh, runs after the bus. Yeah. yeah Funny seeing you here. Her. Yeah. And she goes, oh, I'm going to the zoo. I think I'll go too. Right. I'm going to meet some guy. But what does she let him? Why does she let him, do you think? Because she's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, like, what yeah. you know, she, he takes her on the world's most terrible date, yeah. apologizes, yeah. and then she has this lovely date. They and then and that's what's gonna happen for the rest of the film is yeah. everything tells her 
get the fuck away from this guy. Yeah. And yet she can't. I it, And it's so like, you know, it's watching a slow motion train wreck on some level. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. Um, then they meet the, the white waspish guy that probably could have been Ben Braddock in the original, yeah. original I mean, writing. With the pipe. And yeah, the, it's so great. And, yeah, the tweed jacket. And it's funny, too, because that is the San Francisco Zoo. Yeah. I know that. I know Monkey Island. That's like great. That's where I grew up going to, <laughs> you know, even though I'm, you know, I'm younger than Ben. But yeah. but like still like that is so familiar yeah. when they're in Berkeley and there's Bo's books. And like those are so familiar That's things awesome. to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Ben continues to pursue her right. and seduce her. And like, I want to marry you. Right. Well, she shows up at his place. She shows up at his That's place. That's an active moment. Yeah. She now participates in his stalking. Yeah. Oh, and this is, by the way, something you brought up before. Yeah. This moment of the scream. This is when we find out that Mrs. Robinson accused him of rape. Right. How could you do that, Benjamin? Do you just hate everything? How could you possibly rape my mother? What? I don't understand. Did I don't understand how you, how anyone could do a what thing like that. You've got to tell me what she said. Why? Because it isn't true. Tell me. She said that she was having a drink at the hotel with a friend and that you waited for her in the parking lot and told her that she was too drunk to drive home and that you would get her a room for the night. Well, then what? Then you took her upstairs and you raped her. Oh, no, no, that's not what happened. What happened was that there was this party at my parents. I drove your mother home. I don't want to hear this. we went upstairs to see your portrait. No, I don't. got up in the room. She started this taking her mother, clothes Benjamin. off and suddenly there she was without any clothes on. I mean, really naked. <laughs> This is really an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Yeah. Because it's terrible. It's a terrible thing that she's done. And this is 1967. Yeah. Right? She accuses him of rape. Yeah. It's terrible. Rape, and it is, is, rape is, a, is a very, very serious accusation, man. On uh, both it, sides. As, as, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is a thing that happens. Yes. Um, and sometimes. And yes. this is also a thing where women who have been raped are not believed. Yes. And that is a, definitely a thing that happens. Right. And the the and what's strange in this film is they kind of roll over it. Yes. You know. Because yeah, because her scream is a way of like yeah. saying she accepts that. Yeah. Ben's he said he says I didn't do it, yeah. and she basically accepts it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my guess is is she does know her mom. Yes. And she does know Ben a little bit. Right. And mom's story didn't didn't Look, make a lot of sense. The hardest thing you are ever going to do, it's really hard to kind of rip the cover off what a person has kind of um, deluded themselves into believing yeah. about their relationships, either with their parents or with their friends, yeah. male or female. It's one of the hardest situations. And I, at times, have been able to see certain things in people's lives. And I've had that reaction where a person screams, no. And then when they calm down, they see everything. And you're just like, man, it's really hard. It's really hard to see that. You know, and so I, I got that scream. I understood that yeah. scream. Well, because her choices at that moment yeah. are to believe that this guy she knew all her life raped her mom. Yeah. Or to believe her mom is this horrible person who seduced this guy she's known all her life. And those are two and horrible choices. And then accuse him of rape. Yeah. And then accuse him of rape. Yeah. So that scream is... Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Of course. And, and you're right. Like the process... Look, we all walk around with a lot of shit. Yeah, of course. And some shit, there's shit that never gets told, mm-hmm. you know? And then sometimes with some people under some circumstances, you have this moment where you can share yeah. that truth. And one thing we can say about Benjamin and Elaine is he does share that truth, yeah. you know? Like whatever else is wrong with their relationship, and I think there's a lot, yeah. he does share it. Yeah. And up runs Norman Fell, and yeah. up runs Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, which is so great. There's one line in here. Should I get the cops? Should I get the cops? Um, and at the end, she there seems like, he says, I want you to marry me. Yeah. And there seems like she might. She says she might. 
which again is like so crazy. Yeah, you know that right. you, it's like you're not looking very many steps in advance, which right. I understand. You know that is sort of what it is. Well, I had a girlfriend tell me one time she married her guy because he wouldn't take no for an answer. Like he made these grand gestures and chased her and went after her and wouldn't take no. And then she eventually like saw how much he really cared about her and gave in. And so maybe in some way this is kind of Elaine's kind of fucked up way of seeing love that this guy was yeah. willing to sacrifice all these kinds of things. I think so. And break all these codes. I'm not I'm not advocating what he does in this film, but she may have see she may see these grand gestures as a symbol of love. But and Elaine is. In this same generation of yeah. rejecting the values yes. of the middle class, you know, rules and right. life. And right. Ben is certainly a symbol of that. Yeah. You know, because she then comes back to his room in the middle of the night and yeah. he's in the sheets. And I think he's sleeping naked. And and when you come back, she's saying, I am interested. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. no question about that. Yeah. Uh, we we have to talk about Robert Surtees, which is the cinematographer. Okay. Amazing. And this is like yeah. an old school cinematographer. Uh, Haxler, Hax, Haxler. Haskell Wexler? Yeah. Yeah. Who did Virginia Wolf right. did, was going to do this movie and just was like, I hate this script. <laughs> and he dropped out. So <laughs> oh, they get Surtees. And Surtees was good to go. Every They expected him to be very traditional. Yeah. And every weird experimental thing that Nichols wanted to do, he said, great, let's do it. Wow. And one of them is after the scream, he wanted long lenses on um, Hoffman and uh, Catherine Ross. Mm-hmm. Well, they're in this little tiny room. Yeah. And normally, the lenses sort of match the size of the room. In order to have a long lens and someone in focus, you have to be like 50, 60 feet away yeah, yeah, yeah. to use that lens. So what they did was they pulled the walls. They're on a set. They pulled the walls off of the side of the set, wow. and they went all the way across the soundstage and shot it from like... 100 feet away using these long lenses which doesn't make any sense in terms of traditional cinema right but looks beautiful because what long lenses do they tend to flatten you and they throw everything else out of focus and you could see the use of long lenses throughout this film and Surtees is like it's good to go yeah Um, one other person we should mention is Sam Osteen who's the editor okay uh, met on uh, Virginia Woolf this is and became Nichols's main editor for the next 20-30 years wow he also edited Chinatown and Frantic this is one of the great editors and he apparently he was on the set all the time yeah a lot of editors don't want to be on the set. Nichols wanted him on the set. He was involved in every step of the way. Really, really important, particularly when we're talking about the montage, yep. things like that. So then Ben's next visit in the middle of the night, yeah. while he's just gotten a ring for Elaine and he really believes that they're going to get married. Yeah. Who's here but Mr. Robinson? Yeah. And that scene is so painful. Uh, it, it mirrors the scene where Mrs. Robinson where she is like you can see Hoffman through her legs. It mirrors the scene because we're, mm. we're behind Mr. Yeah. Robinson, and it's his way of yeah. his way of doing this, of coming at him, and her way of coming at him. Obviously, earlier in the film was kind of a sexy way. His way is like man to man. And but and I love Mur- their same shots. Yeah, and Murray Hamilton is so sad. Oh, so sad, man. Did I do something personal to you? Yeah. Is there? Do you hate me for some reason? It's so great. Well, well and I don't know how you frame like in your yeah. mind. Yeah. You know, and and I don't think Murray Hamilton or Mr. Robinson believes that Ra- that Ben. No, of course not. Wife. No, I think he. Kn- I, and I think he's known who his wife was for a long time. Right. And you know, you live in denial, and you live in yeah. That's why he has to make him the bad guy. Yeah. Yelling, calling him a degenerate as he goes down the. De- who's the real degenerate? Someone who tricked a woman into marrying him by getting by getting her pregnant, or who's the degenerate here? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, this I don't is know. all sliding scales. We don't get to know who Mr. Robinson is. We don't. We get a couple of surface things. This is a good point. You're right. You know, and, and maybe he is just the worst, most inattentive husband who's, I mean, he certainly works a lot and yeah. they slept at separate rooms. Maybe he's a nice guy who married this really sad, fucked up person. Right. And has just been struggling to get by. Well, she le- he left her at the party at yeah. the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So 
I mean, we, you know, we don't get to know. Yeah. We don't. Um, certainly, I feel sad for him. Of course. And I also don't particularly like him. <laughs> That's fair. That's you know? fair. Yeah. Um, and then Ben's like, hey, we got to get this thing done fast. But yeah. Elaine's gone. Right. Now we got to find Elaine. Right. Man, he drives up and down the coast of California a he, lot. He really it's a long does. drive. I do that drive all the time. <laughs> Put a lot of miles on that little, uh, is it Alfa Romeo? Let me ask you, yeah, but let me ask you something. Are you invested in him finding Elaine? Or are you of against course. him finding Elaine? No, the movie works. Yeah, it really does, the right? Movie, like, <laughs> you don't want to be with him, but you can't help but be with him. You're, of course, the movie. Yeah. Well, because here's the other thing. Elaine marrying Carl or whatever yeah, his Carl name is. Yeah, Carl Smith. That's not going to work out. <laughs> no, That's a terrible marriage. It is a terrible so, marriage. So like... It's her repeating her mom's mistakes. Yeah, I mean Ben going is going to rescue her on yep, some level. Yeah, and the the drive of him and the the performance of Dustin Hoffman and yep. the music because now we're hearing the deep dds of, of yeah. Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. Great. Like I'm in it, and I yeah. love the sort of con man. Mm-hmm. I'm the reverend, and right. I'm trying to find the church. And they have it, or I'm the brother, or what all right. that stuff he's doing. You know, I think you're also motivated, which is a really great. We haven't touched this real quick, like. Nichols has the scene, or the screenwriter, or Buck Henry. Uh, they put that scene in where Mrs. Robinson call like calls the, the police because it's a burglar, because like, Dustin Hoffman is trying to. I think we're in. I'm invested when she. Yeah, that's a great point. Rejects him in that way and says, "You'll never find her. Yeah. You'll never find." There's yeah. the challenge of it. Well, right? and she's she is the evil queen. Yeah, she kind of is. So, so, so you know, maleficent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The, yeah, she's completely maleficent yeah. at this point, and so you know, Elaine is trapped. Yeah, and he does have to rescue her. Right. The fact that I don't feel good about, the, yeah. like this is not you know Sleeping Beauty and the Prince or anything. They're yeah. not li- going happily ever after. Is a different issue. Well, that's why Into the Woods is such a fantastic musical because you go behind <laughs> right. the, the facade of those fairy tale characters. Yeah, but yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So we're on the last drive, and this is where they they has Paul Simon in the room playing guitar. Oh, that's great. And and the running out of gas with the guitar. Oh, this is an idiot. It is yeah, so, so good. Crazy. He gets out of his car, and right. then this is, I, I teach this in film school, one of the perfect examples of how a long lens ver- works versus mm-hmm. a wide-angle lens, which is in a wide-angle lens, uh, things close are really big, things far are really small, yeah. and if you walk forward, you're going from being really small to really big. Yeah. And so things, when you move towards camera, things happen really fast. Yeah. Long lens does the opposite. Things that are far away, they stay the same size. As he runs towards camera, yeah. he doesn't change size. And he seems, they're on like a 700 millimeter lens or something, right. a really, really long lens. He seems to be running in place. Yeah. Even though he is running full speed. And apparently, uh, Dustin Hoffman did it so many times he passed out. Of course. You know, Mr. Method. Yeah, Mr. Method. <laughs> he is running full on and it looks like he's getting nowhere. Yeah. That is how a long lens works. Wow. Um, and so he runs, he gets to the church. Uh, they said they were going to shoot in this church for one day. They shot for like two weeks. Wow. Um, um, Make that money. Yeah. He gets up, it goes to the window, and this is one of the most iconic moments <sighs> yep. in the film. Amazing moment. Yep. Yelling out a lane. And here's an interesting thing production wise. So first he's banging with his fist mm-hmm. fairly close to his face. Yeah. And the the minister there freaks out. It's like you're gonna break the glass. <laughs> Shatter the glass. And so Nichols goes, Okay, Dustin, can you find a way to bang but not use so much power? And so Dustin Hoffman holds his arms far apart and bangs in this sort of weird way. Yeah. And all the critics, of course, say He's Christ-like. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really just a, for a practical reason of not wanting to break the glass. That's ridiculous, man. Yeah. Um, okay. But you're in a church. Your yeah, arms are wide. but there's nothing Christ-like about him, for no. fuck's sake. Yeah, no. Right, right. And you have this great... Here, and here's an interesting change from the book. Yeah. In the book, he gets there 
before they say man and oh, wife, before wow. they get married. Wow. Nichols said, no, he gets there. They're already married. <laughs> Uh, the Charles Webb, the writer of the book, hates that. I think it works completely. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And you have these moments where you see but do not hear right. the yelling of Mrs. Robinson and Mr. Robinson and the husband. Yeah. And, and then she, in this weird silent moment, this weird space, she screams. There's so much in that scream. Just like there was so much in that scream yes, in, yes, in the room. Exactly. This is a counter to that scream. It's her way of going, help me, get me out of here. Save me now. You wanted a me to save you? You save me Save now. me. Yeah, equally. And, and she runs out. And then we have, essentially, Ben becomes an action star. Right, right. It fights off the crowd. He fights he, off dad. Yeah. He punches people. Yeah. He grabs a golden a crucifix. cross. He's swinging it around yeah, like a cross. weapon. Yeah, gets cross. out of the church, puts the cross in oh the door, barring off the door. And they run off in this, it is amazing, yeah. joyful way. And what do they catch? A bus. They walk <laughs> onto the bus. Yeah. It just happens to pull it up. They sit in the backseat of the bus. Yeah. And this is one of the most amazing last shots in film history. Right. You can't, it's, it's astounding. Yeah. Because the camera keeps rolling. Yes. And, and apparently this is Sam Osteen's on the bus. Nichols isn't on the bus. Oh, okay. And he, not really being a director, he says, just forgot to say cut. <laughs> and, wow. And so the intention is, Nichols says, you're just happy. And that's the ending. But then the camera keeps rolling. Catherine Ross and, and Dustin Hoffman being method people, they're just in that moment of like, oh, what do we do? Yeah. And they see it in dailies and they go, oh my God. Yes, of course. That's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. Because it is unsettling. Yep. It is. It opens the whole movie up. If they were happy, the movie closes. I oh, agree. they live happily ever yeah, after. Yeah, yeah. But because they're confused and thoughtful and what now, you see the what now. Mm-hmm. And we don't get a what now answer. Now we don't ever get to know right. what is this movie about. Well, there was a sequel. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. what's so funny is like in the player, they're making jokes about doing yeah, a sequel. Yeah, a graduate sequel. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And I never saw it, by the way. Did you? Rumor has it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw it. It's not a bad movie. Okay. And it's not it's a bad movie. It's Rob Reiner, it's, right? It's, yeah. And it's yeah. kind of a sequel, but not 100% right. a sequel. What's fantastic about this ending too, Steve, is it's not 100% they're unhappy either. Like they're not no, like, no. oh, fuck, what have we done? There's more a matter of like... What do we do now? Yeah, it's what like, do we do now. And they juxt- they both take turns smiling. That's what's it. Yeah. They never smile at each other. They both smile out separately and then look at each other at separate moments, but never together. Right. And I think that's fantastic because that shows that she's doing this to get out of her situation with, with her family and he's doing this to get out of his situation as well. But who knows what happens here? They could end up happily ever after. She's beautiful. She's Possibly. supportive. He could. He's got his stuff. He's got a great yeah. degree from Harvard yeah. or whatever. He's going to go be something. So who knows? But they could also be in a terrible, loveless marriage and repeating the same patterns. But I, I don't want to jump over too much. I do want to have this moment. Let's talk real quick. Where she says, where Mrs. Robinson grabs her and says. You're right. You know, says like. You, like, it's tries too to late. She tries it's to, too, it's too late. late, and she says, "Not for me." Elaine says, "Not for me." And even and Mrs. Robinson slaps her twice. Yeah. Hard, looks hard. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? It's yeah. such a messed up, uh, such a messed up situation. No wonder she's running. And this is where the thing is: I yeah. can't know how to feel. No, I can't know because. But I love that we don't. Yeah, c- exactly. Because do we want to stay with Mr. and Mrs. Robinson? No. No. Fuck no. Do we want Elaine to marry, marry Carl? No. Of course not. Coral. Do, yeah. do we do we feel <laughs> do we feel good about about Ben and Elaine? And no, I'm not a hundred percent. I, I, I but I it seems know. the most hopeful option. It seems yeah. like I hope I hope they heal each other. Yes, you know what I mean. Right. I hope that they 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 go. Okay, we've been through this right. traumatic thing, and we've learned lessons, and that we're gonna be stronger in right. the future. Right. 
But I don't know that that's but what this, happens. Yeah, and this is also the awakening of the flower power of the 60s, all this. Kind of, it's the awakening of, okay, we've done this. Fuck, now what do we do? Yeah. Like, we, we caused the revolution. We made these changes. Oh, shit, what do we do now? This is what all revolutions always, almost always fail because they don't have yeah. a, a second step all mapped out, ready to go. Most revolutions fail after they complete the revolution and they, form, they eventually tumble back into where they were before because they don't have a plan for what to do after they win. And this is what happens here in the same situation. It's a rev- what they're doing is re- 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 rebelling against their situations, their own revolutions, uh, but then they're like, oh shit, what do we do now? Well, and, this is this is so symbolic. This is why I brought up that Generations yep. book because in reading that yep. book, my expectation when I started was, yeah. oh, I'm like an idealist. I'm going to like the idealists. And what I discovered in reading the book was I really didn't like the idealists <laughs> because this is what happens is yeah. that they have such strong beliefs and such strong rejections of those beliefs that don't agree with them yeah. that, that they are willing to go to war. They're willing to blow up everything. They're willing to destroy other people's lives mm-hmm. because they're obsessed with their own ideals right and and they don't see you know because of their cognitive dissonance the problems with those ideals right. and that is exactly what you see i mean i grew up in marin county went to school in berkeley yeah. i grew up in the 70s and 80s not in the 60s but i saw the remnants of this and i love certain things yeah. out of that generation right. i really believe in them and i'm so disgusted by certain excesses of that generation yeah. and from exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you look at what happened in the 70s, both the violence yep. and the drug addiction and mm-hmm. the, you know, all of those things mm-hmm. that came out of that. Right. And it's like, ugh, it's all from the arrogance of idealism. Yeah, the free love uh, spawned STDs, spawned AIDS. There's all kinds of stuff that happened through this whole revolution. Like, the, if you don't if you don't curtail it after you achieve it, if you don't have a plan after you achieve it, yeah. eventually you destroy things. Because what we need yeah. is a mix of the practical yes. and the ideal. Absolutely. Is that we, yes, we need idealists. We need yeah. people who are pointing their finger at the problems in our society yes. and questioning things. Absolutely. Right. But we also need someone who makes the, the, the trains run on time. Right. And, you know, cures the diseases and goes out and does the fucking work because life has a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and Ben sitting around floating on his raft is not going to make the world work. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I've got these, uh, who makes the rules? And it's like, shut up, man. Like, <laughs> gee, you know, go do something. Yeah. Even if you want to do idealist things. Sure. Go do them. What do they tell you? Work from within to change, yeah. right? To change the structure. Not not sit outside rebelling and, and crying about it all the time. Work from within and make the change. Yeah. You can. Go. go. And this, we're seeing that now as a reaction to Trump. Whatever side you're on, a reaction to Trump getting into office, so many people are motivated now to pursue political right. life that were like disillusioned with pursuing political life now see it as a possibility. In that, that may be one of the greatest legacies that that man ever leaves on this planet is that he motivated this country, a lot of people in this country, to get back involved in politics and back involved and believing that they can change the the, right. the, the, the direction of this country. And hopefully in a practical way. Yes. And a know, positive way. And hopefully. Yep. Hopefully it will be. There we go. So the film has a tremendous reception, obviously. It's nominated for multiple Oscars. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't win the Oscar. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner wins the Oscar that year? Son of a... Of course it does. Yeah. Well, that is the old a Hollywood nice movie. Save. We're all cool. Yeah. Both races. Yeah. Film. Yeah. 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 So uh, a really great book about this era is called Pictures of a Revolution. It's about the five films nominated for the Oscars in 1967 mm-hmm. and points to them as this is the moment between old Hollywood and new. And the five films oh. are The Graduate. Yes. Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. In the Heat of the Night. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right. And Dr. Doolittle. Oh. Guess Who's Coming Dr. to Dinner Doolittle. and Dr. Doolittle representing old Hollywood. Of course. 
Bonnie and Clyde and Graduate definitely New Hollywood and uh, In the yeah. Heat of the Night somewhere in the middle. Yes. And it's a really good book. I put it up there. It might even, be, I think, be a better book than Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Uh, it's a really, really good book. I love Easy Riders um, And really gives you a lot of detail about mm-hmm. The Graduate and the filmmaking and this time. So definitely worth checking out. Yep. And I think this movie, in addition, it was the biggest movie of the year. Yeah. And it is what created the youth art movement. Yeah. Because oh, no, yeah, because up but previous to this time, yeah. the people that went to movies were grownups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that what happened with this movie was they went, oh, our big market is actually if we can get the young people, they'll mm-hmm. go see movies over and over of again. Course. And that has not changed nope. since. That is the main market that Hollywood is aiming towards. And I really believe it starts with the graduate. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Oh, and, and and fascinatingly enough, Hoffman goes home. Goes back to riding the subway, yeah. waiting in unemployment lines, because he doesn't know what his next gig is going to come right. from. Finally, some reporters take pictures of him waiting in the unemployment line. He realizes he can't do that anymore. He's not going to ride the subway anymore, and he becomes a massive sex symbol. Wow. You know, like Dustin he's, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman does, and obviously, this is the beginning of one of the great acting careers of yes, all time. absolutely. Yeah. So, yes. Final thoughts on The Graduate. Uh, what a fantastic film to rediscover again. I'm glad we talked about it on The Cinephiles. And I absolutely love this film. Can't recommend it more. Like I've said numerous times on for other films that we've done here on the show, it affects you in different ways depending on what time in your life you're watching the film. And this time around, it really hit me on so many levels that I had not uh, had it do the, la- the previous two or three times I'd seen it. It's an acting tour de force by everybody in this film. It's a fantastic script. There's not a wasted scene in this whole movie. Everything feeds to the overall point of the film. And that ending is everything. It's just everything. Ambiguous endings were the were the amazing part of the late 60s and 70s filmmaking, which rare, rarely happens now. Yeah. But it's one of the things I absolutely love. And I think this film serves as a testament to what can happen when you grab on to what's going on in the cultural zeitgeist and really hit it out right. of the park. It absolutely. still applies universally even, what, 40 years, 50 years 50 later. Years, yeah. 50 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I can't think of a movie that is simultaneously as uncomfortable, dark, sad, moving, and funny, yeah. and kind of filled with ideas as this one. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one, because it is 100% funny, full mm-hmm. comedy, yeah. with all the comedy chops of Mike Nichols from Nichols and May, and all the comedy chops of Dustin Hoffman, and Anne Bancroft, and all these people who are really funny. And then, in the next moment, just crushingly... Yeah difficult and mm-hmm. sad and yeah. challenging. I can't think of a movie that does this like this. And in terms of all the filmmaking, the craft is great. As you say, the performance is great. The music is great. Mm-hmm. The music is great. Yeah, yeah I, think you, I think you all need to listen to more Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I don't know. It just hit me really, just like you, it hit me really hard. Can I say one last thing? Of course. Unless, unless you, are you done? Are you, no, I'm done. Okay. I also think this film forces you to accept the complexity of human beings. Absolutely. Right? I, yes. Right? Yes. We should say this because Mrs. Robinson is alternately sympathetic and destructive. Sympathetic yep. and a villain. Ben the same way. Yep. Catherine Austin, Ross not so much maybe. Well, but she's, but, but she's but she, like, you keep going like, why are you doing this? Yes. You know, right. what, she's is, frustrating what are her in motivations? That way. Exactly. Like, you know, she's complicated too. Exactly. Complicated. Ms. That's perfect. Yeah. Complicated. Mr. Absolutely. Robinson. Like, who's yep. this guy? Yep. You know, and that, the, the, and what we see is, I'm so glad you said that because what you see is the difference between the facade yeah. that all these people are putting forward yeah. and all the stuff that apparently is just below the surface. Yep. 
you know that's amazing and that is unknowable and yeah. we cannot understand mrs robinson we nope. cannot understand ben nope. we can't really understand elaine yeah you know they're just they're just doing what they're doing and you go like uh yeah and and the ending points to that we don't yeah. we're never going to get to know absolutely yeah well that's so that's what we think about the graduate of course we always want to hear what you think please be, visit us on facebook that's at the cinephile c-i-n-e-f-i-l-e-s subscribe to us on itunes uh, leave a review for us on iTunes. We would love to hear what you think. It really, not only do we enjoy getting the reviews, not only does it help to raise us up in the iTunes stats, but it also, it helps us to make the show better hmm. because we get to see what you're thinking. Absolutely. And we also want to see what you're thinking on our YouTube page because the great thing about YouTube is that we can see your comments on each episode yeah. and exactly what you're talking about. We love engaging with you there. We love going back and forth with you on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at the Roku says uh, R-O-C-H-A on Twitter and on Instagram every Friday is on Collider Movie Talk and of course this show and some more announcements coming out Outlaw Nation coming out soon on the uh, Schmoes can't no. wait for Outlaw Nation yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun yeah that's great alright so that's it for this week we will see you next time on The Cinephiles Cinephiles